Here we are, backlist and chill listeners. The end of season eight. And it is October for us. It is. It's spooky season. Happy spooky season, everybody. You're going to be hearing this in like Like December. November or December. Oh, no, you're right. November. November. So um, happy post spooky season to you. Yeah. Happy still autumn. It's just beginning. (laughs) I know, right? You're in the future. We don't know what wonders await. Right? We're in the past. Maybe, maybe spooky season lasts forever in the future. That'd be I great. mean, that, that's totally cool by me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, we are here to talk about the Fear Street saga. We are wrapping up this trilogy by R.L. Stein, Robert Robert Stein. <laughs> we are discussing The Burning. The Burning. Dun, dun, dun. I, there was a lot less burning than I expected in this one. I know, right? There was less burning in this one than there was in, like, the first one. There should have been a lot more burning. Because, like, the first one was the betrayal. There was so much betrayal. The next one was the secret. Gosh, there were so many secrets. The burning. <laughs> Barely any burning. Barely any burning. I'm gonna return it uh, yeah. for false advertising. <laughs> Um, shall I discuss the blurb or shall we discuss the cover? Uh, oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. I can't what? jump ahead that fast. Oh, wait. Yeah. Fuck. We forgot the other thing. The chill. We forgot. The yeah. Chill. I mean, also, I forgot everything. It is apparently for me to seem kind of drunk. I just needed to get up too early. Yeah. No, it's impressive. <laughs> I'm not going to get more awake. That's the sad part. So normally I drink absinthe, as Mm -hmm, anybody mm -hmm. who has joined us in previous seasons knows. But even though I am home with that dog, (laughs) (laughs) I had more of the Angry Orchard Peach Mango Hard Cider left, and it's tasty. So gonna drink that one more more time. Mm -hmm. Power Through Evil is the name of it. Put Mm -hmm. a little bit of lemon juice fuck ton of ice and this peach mango even though it's 11 30 in the morning it's fucking tasty yeah i mean it's it's apple it's it's a fruit it's a fruit juice yeah and it's like fucking five percent alcohol by volume it's nothing right and you do have fruit juices with breakfast it's fine yeah yeah well people like a bellini or something i don't know (laughs) i have no clue so what about you so, um, I think I said in one of the other podcasts that I was going to keep doing, like, cinnamon whiskey. Yeah. Uh, I lied. I let my boyfriend have the last cinnamon whiskey, and then I was too lazy to go get more. <laughs> so, instead, uh, in honor of it being breakfast, I made a... Um, the recipe called it a black magic, but it was <gasps> essentially just a screwdriver with a little black vodka on top. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so I'm basically, I'm having the most breakfast of alcoholic drinks, orange juice with vodka in it, but the vodka's black, so that makes it evil. Did you post a picture? I did. It is on our Twitter. You can't really see the black as much, but you could see it in person. Oh, that's really cool, though. I mean, it looks smoky on top. Oh, there you go. There you go. I like that. So uh, maybe we'll just call this one The Burning. The burning. Mm -hmm, Yeah, mm because it's like, 
This looks like seeing the fear mansion on fire from a distance from like the village where you're like, what the fuck is going on over there in that forest? And you like walk up and you see it's all like this glow, like it's sunset again, but there's smoke at the top. So I like that. Well, thank you. I'm glad. I love your interpretation and I'll take it. (laughs) It's a very artistic drink. (laughs) It's, uh, yeah, it's like impressionist, you know? Impressionist is the word I've been looking for for weeks for so many things. Thank you. (laughs) There have been several things where I'm like, it's like that art style. God, what the fuck is it? People are like, realistic? I'm like, not at all. The opposite. (laughs) (laughs) The opposite. Surrealist, not quite that far. Yeah. All right. Okay. So we've discussed what we're drinking. We've discussed who we are and what we're doing. And this being the final episode, The Evil Ends Here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm going to read the back cover. Yeah, go for it. Okay. The end and the beginning. Mm-hmm. Simon Fear thought changing his name would stop the evil. He was wrong. Dead wrong. After generations of unspeakable horror, it is up to Daniel and Nora, brought together by their fateful love, to unite the feuding families. But is their forbidden love strong enough to withstand such awesome evil? Poor Nora. Desperate to tell the truth and bury the family curse before it buries her. Dun, dun, dun. That's it. Mm-hmm. Okay, I have issues Tell with me. this fucking blurb, okay? Yeah. Listen, Daniel and Nora, what? Daniel and Nora, who? Who, who are, are even these characters? Why do we give I a shit? I don't know them. You've been teasing me with Daniel and Nora for three books. Yeah. And then they're in the book for 50 pages and they do absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Eat shit, Fear Street. Mm-hmm. You made me think this was going to be some sort of epic. Like, I thought this whole book might be devoted to fucking Daniel and Nora. But no, it's like less than a third. Yeah. I messaged you last night and was like, I've got 50 pages left. It was those 50 pages. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, No, me too. That's how I broke this book up. I was like, part one, part two, part three, yeah. the last 50 pages, Daniel and Nora. Yep. The fact that it's just like Simon Fear for one sentence and then, oh, let's talk about Daniel and Nora and they've got a fateful love and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that is the story I wanted, Bobbert. Right? I would have loved to have seen Nora interspersing her and Daniel's like secret six-month romance throughout all three books. Right? Uh, Just something. Because I guess it's not out of the mold for the way that the story is told, where there are two to three stories in every book. Like, it's not shocking in that respect that Daniel and Nora are just one of three stories in this book. But for, like, something where, like, the covers and, like, the framing device has all been Daniel and Nora for it to just be another 50-page story in this last book. It's like, really? We get to the top of the roller coaster and it's a little bunny hill? Like, that's all we get? <laughs> right? You go up, 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 and it's like, mm, that's it. That's it. I would like for this book to have been two-thirds about them. Instead, yeah. it was two-thirds about Simon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Simon, who is a different character every time we see him. Oh, so it's thank not... you, right? What is characterization? This is a thing. Like, I mean, we'll get into it, but it's the thing we talked about in book two, where they're like four stock characters. Yeah. And they just change names. You? You're that character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, when we met Simon last book, 
he was a different character. I, I kind of enjoyed Simon the last book until his mm-hmm. like, no, everything that is good is wrong. I have watched my good family get taken in and, and we were nice to Frank and clearly that was wrong. Evil is the way. And then of course, <laughs> right. like by the time we get to this fucking book, he's like, and I never succumbed to evil. Yeah, right. It's like, except that uh, I did eventually. Yeah. Also, like, where is your fucking sister? But um, <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah. Tell me about the cover. The cover. Another another great uh, Bill Schmidt joint. Hell yeah. Another, this time a side three-quarter profile yeah. of uh, Ms. Nora Good with a random dagger. Like, kind of, like, somebody, like, got a fucking, I mean, it's an illustration, so they didn't, but it kind of looks like somebody just got, like, a stock photo of a dagger and then, like, snip, 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 cut it out and just sort of pasted it next to her face. Yeah, I have to assume it's the fucking dagger that Simon Fear uses in the second part, the sword or whatnot, but. Oh, that's right. It, it took is. me it's some probably the sword. thinking. Like, I was like, where is this jeweled dagger that never fucking came into play? Right, proportionally, it looks like a dagger, but they're very clear about Simon Fury using a sword in the second part, yeah. so like that did not even occur to me until you said it. N- no, because I was looking at it, I was like, I have so much that I'm upset about with this cover, mm-hmm. that I was like, why is there this fucking dagger? And then I was like, oh, it's probably meant to be the sword. But you're right, the proportions on it are all off. It's dagger-sized. Yeah, and it just feels very random, just sort of popped there mm. right next to Nora's face. And then you've got the... Fear Manor burning in the background mm-hmm, with a mm-hmm. kind of not how I imagine the Fear Manor, but whatever. Me neither. Not at all. That looks like a Victorian, like, three-story house. It's also, like, very nicely painted. I was yeah. not really imagining that it's the beautiful. Fears were keeping up their property at this point, you know? <laughs> No, not at all. I also imagined it, like, white, but with all the paint peeling. Right, or, like, just that bare, old, weathered gray that, yeah. like, houses get. And then you have Nora running away in a very dramatic white wedding dress, holding a bouquet of white flowers. Which also never happens. Nope. Uh, And then the other person, you get like a profile of Daniel Fear, kind of with his head pressed against Nora's forehead. But it's weird because like, he's doing that and there's like a very solid connection between him and Nora. But Nora's just sort of staring off into the distance. Literally blank eyed. Right. If they were going to go for, like, this romantic connection, I would have loved if she were looking up at him instead of just staring off into the distance. Yeah, I think her eyes needed to be lifted or lowered. Where, like, mm-hmm. if it was the moment where he, like, touched the forehead and her eyes just start to close kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But instead yeah. it's just Nora staring kind of Kristen Stewart-like. <laughs> where she's just, like, blankly, lips open. It's almost like Daniel's not even there. That's what it really feels like. It feels like they drew Nora first. Yeah. And then just sort of added Daniel. There's not really any connection between the two, which is wild because as we discussed, it's an illustration. So yeah. like you could have you could have changed it. <laughs> you had the option, Bill. You did. <laughs> you had complete control. So yeah, I think this is probably the weakest of the three covers, even though there are still some like pretty nice. Yeah, like it's it still it still is good for the third section. Mm-hmm. The dagger is pointless, especially if it's since it's supposed to probably be the sword. She never wears a white wedding dress. She never has a bouquet. The Fear Manor looks like a house my friends lived in in Connecticut. Daniel is barely there and also not what Daniel looks like. Nora is just staring and empty. It there could there's room for more fire. Like it's just 
for the one called The Burning, mm-hmm. the first one was much better. Oh, yeah, for sure. And there are elements of this where, like, disconnecting it from the story inside, like, the the imagery of Nora in a wedding dress running dramatically away from a burning house. Like, that's some good shit. Hell yeah. It's just not it just doesn't happen. reflected in the text. Which, it's like, it makes me wonder about the process. Mm-hmm. Because the first cover was so good. Everything was correct. The second cover, I don't remember having any quibbles with. So what the fuck did Bill get? What was he told the story was? Did Bob change it? Well, no. So, like, if you just tell somebody, hey, um, this boy and this girl get married, and then on their wedding night, a house burns down, then, like, I can see where you would you would see, like, oh, she's running away from the house in a wedding dress because she just got married. Like, yeah, which is my question. Details. It's like, what did you get told? Yeah, I can see where, like, a vague brief would produce this, and, like, I wouldn't turn it down because it's a pretty compelling image, but... Yeah. I just wish that Bob had been like, hmm, wedding dress, running away, this is a good idea. Because, like you said, it's gorgeous imagery to be like, oh, shit, you just got married, the house is on fire, you're running away, you haven't even thrown the fucking bouquet. (laughs) Right. Well, and as as we've discussed, like the I'm sure marketing did not care whether or not it was accurate. They're <laughs> not just at like, all. oh, does it look good? Will people pick this up? Sweet, put it out. Like, yeah, you know who cares? Us. Thirty years later. Yeah, literally, we're the only ones. Mm-hmm. So you know, make your cash. If anybody else ever even noticed, I would be surprised. So my book doesn't have much of a smell. Yeah, mine didn't either. Weirdly enough. I'm so confused. Was this a different batch of paper? Right? Like, the paper still feels good. It still looks nice. Mine's not. So, you know how this was published in 93? My copy is from 2002. Oh, wow. That's wild. It's like the 15th print. That's wild. I I have a first edition. Ooh. Um, but but yours still- also doesn't smell? No, and it's like probably in the best condition of any one, any of the ones that I have. Actually, I think it's a second edition. But um, yeah, mine is also in the best condition of the three. Yeah, but it's still, you know, it's was published in 1983. Still doesn't smell terribly strong, even at the spine. Yeah, it like it doesn't not have a smell, but it's very, I don't know. It's just like if you cut down a tree, just that tree smell, the center of the tree. Where it hasn't had a chance to have much smell. Yeah, it definitely doesn't have, like, the strong dust scent that the other ones Yeah, which I do love. The thing I just noticed on the side of my book, which I think the other Mm -hmm. ones probably had, but it's listed as teen thriller. On the spine? Yeah, so it's like Simon Pulse, teen thriller, R.L. Stein, The Fear Street Saga 3, The Burning. Oh, interesting. Mine says Archway Paperback YA Novel. Oh, fascinating. I just, I love this, this idea of teen thriller mm-hmm. that we were reading in sixth grade. I mean, it was a boppin' subgenre. <laughs> it sure was. You need 170 pages of gore and weirdness? Here you go. <laughs> right? Some, like, fucking wizards and magic and murders oh, and shit. I got you. <gasps> oh, I hate it, but I love it. <laughs> so... The fear family tree has gotten mm-hmm. as big as it's going to get. Yeah. I still wish we had 
So you get to the page and there's the fear family tree. I wish that on the next page was the good family tree because why aren't they important? It's very peculiar to me, but whatever. But I would have wanted to know because like, I want to know how they fucking survived (laughs) and got out there. There's so many big plot holes. Yeah. All right. So shall we discuss the plot? Shall we? Yes. Okay. So, this book opens with Nora still in her writing mode, and I think, like, the first gray light of of morning is coming up, and uh, as a person who often sees the the sunrise, I gotta tell you, the time from the first gray light of morning to when the sun is actually fucking up is not very long. Mm Mm-hmm. So the fact that she is like, oh, there's still so much to go. Simon Fears chapter is the the longest and the most horrifying. And I'm like, you must be the fastest handwriter who ever (laughs) fucking lived. Because even though this is like presumably what she wrote down, it's still like 30k. Well, and she's done three of these in a night. Right? So she's like, here's a hundred thousand words in a night. I'm like, you're putting all the nano novel writers to fucking shame. <laughs> and we have computers. I made a note about that somewhere further down. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Nora or Daniel's telling Nora the history of the fears, and he's presumably telling her like all the things that have happened in the last three books, which they he tells her in like five seconds. Well, he says it, and it's like, you've got an hour or two. And he's like, that's plenty of time. And I'm like, is it? Is it? Are you sure? Because there's a lot. I mean, it, it is. If we were going to, like, just beat by beat recap, like, the last three books, we could probably do it in an hour. Filling in all the gory details, though. Well, that's true. That is true. There is a lot of detail that she puts into these. I like to imagine that Daniel just kind of gave her like a very basic outline like, oh, yeah, so one of my ancestors was in love with a good, uh, his father wouldn't let him marry her because she was poor and he was engaged to this other girl. So my uncle and father burned her as a witch and also my uncle swindled the guy on his way out. And then Nora was like, just making notes. She's like, I can, I can fill this in. I can expand on this. <laughs> I wish we were told that Nora, like, wanted to be a writer. (laughs) Yeah, oh, that would be great. To just be like, ah, gotcha, some of this has been some creative liberty. (laughs) I would love that. No, because then you have to imagine the time Daniel took to explain how um, William Goode's brains, like, (gasps) bubbled out of his skull and that it cracked with a pop. Or you have to imagine that Nora was, that he just told Nora, yeah, and then the guy's head exploded and kind of melted at the same time. And there was and like Nora, another face underneath it. <laughs> right? And then Nora was just like, his brains bubbled. Bubbled. His skin cracked. melted. Yes. Yeah. I love no, this. I, I definitely headcanon that Nora is a writer. That makes Nora so much more interesting than literally anything in the book. And I think that's part of what I, I picked up as a kid on this one. Mm-hmm. I had to assume, because Nora was writing it, that mm-hmm. she was the one coming up with all of this description. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love Nora getting this basic bare bones outline and then filling it out with like the silly, gory details that we've had so far. Yep. Alternately, I love the idea of Daniel and Nora as like a spooky thriller writing team. Oh, 
Where they're just like, oh, yeah, and then his brain's bubbled. Ooh, that's good. Ooh, that's, that's good. Great. Wait, what if the skin, like, cracks off? Ooh, yeah. So then there were scratch marks in the coffin. Oh, that's a great detail. And her nails Ooh, were the broken. the fingernails could be bloody. Oh, yeah. love it. Yes. Right? See, this is where they needed to be six months of the two of them together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He found out the stories and was, like, bringing her the info from Mrs. McKenzie, and they could only get a certain amount of time together. Right, and they were, like, convinced for some reason that telling the stories would help break the curse, so they were, like, releasing these as pamphlets or something. That would be Oh great. my gosh. See, we're fixing it. <laughs> right? Like, Bob, Bob, if you just spent more words on Daniel and Nora being a writing team, that's what the kids <laughs> care about. That would have been great. I could so get behind them if they had shared literally anything in common. <laughs> yeah. Instead of just yet another, and I saw you and I was in love. Right. Let's, I will say this for Angelica and Simon Fear. At least they had common interests and hobbies, <laughs> you know? Honestly, of all the couples we have encountered, Angelica and Simon fucking deserve each other. <laughs> Absolutely. I have never shipped a couple harder. <laughs> they're like both so evil and for the first section i adored it and even the second section isn't terrible Mm -hmm. they're what the adamses are in people's minds in like Mm -hmm. in -hmm. the canon world of the adamses yes people think that they're like this Mm -hmm. and it's just like oh god the fucking descriptions of angelica just it's so good it is it's very because like I was concerned when that reveal happened that like, oh, you know, Angelica, this evil bitch. And then it's like, no, no, no. Fuck her. I'm the only one allowed to be evil. Right. No, there was just like the fucking choir, like angelic choir as they, Mm -hmm. well, I guess demonic choir as they look at each other. (laughs) They're just like, you know, hard eyes coming out of both of them. It's so funny. Perfect. Their black hearts were just one. (laughs) Right, I love it. That is fucking one couple I can get behind in this entire goddamn anthology. Yep, it's like there's Jonathan Fear, who is the best boy, and then Simon and Angelica are the best couple, but not for good reasons. Nope. Alright, so we've got our framing device, and then we cut over to Simon Fear, who has not just arrived in New Orleans, but it definitely frames it kind of like that, but he like has a home. And it is 1845. I don't remember when the last one took place. Maybe only a couple years before. Like, maybe 1840 or so. But, like, he's 21. So he's not too old. But, worth mentioning, his sister never gets brought up. Ever. Like, or she gets brought up, but she's never seen. Yeah, I honestly forgot that she was still alive. Uh, Yeah, it took me a while. I was like, oh, wait, no, at the end, she gives him the, the necklace. Yeah, oh man. I I forgot so many of these characters when it came time mm-hmm. to remember names and how they were murdered. Oh my god, right? At the end, when we get the list of everyone, I was like, wait, wait, that's not true. I genuinely was like, who the fuck is Kate? I don't remember Kate. <laughs> Kate was Simon's sister. Kate Elizabeth was- survived. She went a little crazy because, of course, if you survive an incident, you must be crazy. Well, and also Kate, or I'm sorry, Elizabeth doesn't matter because uh, her children won't carry the fear name, so who cares? Right? It would have made a lot more sense for the two of them to stick together. That could have been an interesting subplot, and for, I don't know, just that to be anything. 
to be like, I will marry Angelica, and her being like, I don't know, she seems pretty fucking evil. Well, as previously discussed, R.L. Stein does not do subplots. The end. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So my favorite thing about how this opens up mm-hmm, is that we've got Simon, it's Mardi Gras, of course, love it. Of course. It's in New Orleans. Um, I wanted this whole fucking book to continue in New Orleans, but I'd forgotten that like we have to bring it back up to New England. Shady side. <sighs> so sad. But he's at this like masquerade ball and has decided I'm going to go to the fanciest fucking ball here. I'm going to make myself known to all the eligible young ladies and they're going <laughs> to love me. Right? I'm so hot. They'll definitely want to take me home to daddy. He lists off his, his freaking... He's like assets. He's like, hmm, remind myself on why I'm here. I'm good looking. I can be very charming and witty if I desire to be. I'm as smart as anyone in New Orleans, and I am determined to do anything it takes to be a success. He fucking straight rolls up to this New Orleans party like he was fucking Alexander Hamilton. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he You're meets right. a girl named Angelica. And another dude's name is literally Hamilton. Hamilton, yeah. So I, I think that Bob was like winking a nod on that one. I also love the way he describes himself. Like, I can be charming when I choose to be. I have black hair and green eyes. I was like, oh, I'm getting big Rizika vibes. I describe (laughs) myself. Oh, I I have this and I have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The very simple sort of, I have blonde hair and gold eyes and I can turn into a tiger or a hawk. And if I wish, I can do this thing and everyone If I wish, I can be very charming and witty to my victims before I murder them. Yeah. No, no, no. For sure. The other part that was very silly to me is how he both loves and hates everybody's fancy dress. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and this is fairly apparent in the text that this is supposed to be fucking contradictory and just him yes. being an asshole. He's fucking Gollum and Smeagoling all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> he looks around and he sees like all these fancy boys and he's like, I'm as much a gentleman as any of these peacocks, and someday I will have a wardrobe full of ruffled shirts. <laughs> shirts to put all these dandies to shame. Like, when he wears it, it's masculine and butch. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When they wear it, they're a bunch of fucking dandies. Like, Simon Fear, you're the worst. Right? He's like, these useless rich people, but someday I'll be rich. Yeah, and then I'll be better at it. Mm, I'll build libraries and museums. Ugh, gross. I also Hate love him. that this motherfucker turns up to this party in a very specifically a top hat and a purple lined cape and i was like oh look at you talk about a peacock right it's a black cape with purple satin lining like you dressed as fancy as you could you little shit right you showing up looking like a fucking vegas magician (laughs) (laughs) he's fucking tuxedo masking it (laughs) it really is it's delightful i love how much of a fucking twerp Simon is, honestly. And he had such a sheltered life growing up until like three years ago. Mm -hmm. They were just a good, happy family. Mm -hmm. A good, happy family? A fear, happy family. (laughs) You know, it's like everything was fine until that happened. And now he's just so weird, like unbearably weird. Oh, yeah. Everything Simon does in this first part where he is, like, trying to infiltrate the party is such high-key cringe. I was just like, oh, oh, Simon, Simon, stop. (laughs) Simon, stop. You're hurting me. And inside, you're just this fucking, like, alt-right 
<laughs> nagging asshole. I know. I know. It's rough. And like, I like that the story in some way, at least, recognizes that Simon is just kind of a useless idiot because it turns yeah. out that Angelica was really the one who was doing stuff. Yes. So. I remembered that very early on, too. Oh, I didn't realize it until the very end. Ah, see, I remembered so little about also this book. Mm-hmm. But again, every time stuff started to happen, I was like, oh, shit, it's her. <laughs> well, it's a nice... In, in like one way, it was like, yes, I remember this. Like when they were, I remembered it in the parlor scene where. um The reveal. Yeah. Like right before it, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Like she's been doing it. But it's also like the same formula that we've seen for the past five books. But every formula has had like some kind of twist. Like, oh, yeah. I'm not really a good or, oh, I'm the evil good and I'm going to do this. And like this one, it's like, oh. You think it's Simon because we see from his perspective and he is he thinks right. he's doing it. But then it turns out, oh, no, the twist is that Angelica was doing it. And it's, <laughs> it's just very in line with what we've been seeing. Yeah, it's an excellent continuation of the formula. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Simon gets kicked out of the party because he doesn't have an invitation. And I do love that he's there for like maybe 15 minutes before the servants are like, kid, you gotta go. You look like trash. Everybody <laughs> yeah, right. looks at you and says... You're outdated. So like, like, oh, that's a poor. Yeah, we know you're not supposed to be here. We know you <laughs> might have been rich before enough to have these fancy clothes, but it's 10 years out of date. You got to go. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he gets like mugged by a sailor when he ends up down by the docks and he he ends up stabbing the dude in the face with the fucking amulet, I guess. I like to imagine that he just sort of slaps him in the face with it. Yeah. But it punctures him where the gems are. And I'm like, that's weird. I never pictured the gems to be pointy side out, but whatever. No, and we've seen in the illustrations yeah. that they're clearly rounded. That's not how you hold gems. It would not work that way. But okay, Robert. But sure, Bob. And the dude's face like melts off. Literally melts off until he has a skull, which is why I took my picture with a black skull. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Good, good thing. Yeah, I, I tried. I have so many, I have access to so much here. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I have tried not to be evil, but now maybe I have the power. I have the power. <laughs> and I can use this to win Angelica. So, like, dude, you literally just decided to embrace this power which previously three years ago you told us you were gonna use but then didn't i don't know Mm -hmm. bob doesn't pay attention (laughs) so how do you think that you had the power to do this (laughs) well i mean that's the thing he thinks that he's just going to use his good looks and charm to just like find a rich wife and that's all he needs yeah and then he just suddenly remembers like oh no i have an evil amulet that i can use like when it comes in handy and then he's like oh that's right. I can just use magic. Fuck my good looks and charm. Right. I could have. I could have won her some other way. Nope. And it's. It's just. It's so silly to me. I love though that it does that because um probably unintentionally it validates the whole William Good plotline. William mm-hmm. and Matthew, I think it was, where it's like, why didn't William Good use his magic, his dark magic, to make you know, carrots as long as candlesticks. And it's because he probably wasn't 
that powerful, maybe hadn't been using it that long, etc, etc. And that there is the potential for great evil and great power among the fears, but it like fell to the wayside. Mm -hmm. So the fact that Simon remembers he has this magic and can do a little bit of evil, but isn't actually the one doing it, feels very validating to the whole William Good (laughs) angle. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's such a fucking... A silly thing, right? Because he just like happens to get mugged by a cockney and then he turns around and he slaps him in the face with his amulet. No, look, his skin melts off. And oh, (laughs) I guess I have magic powers now. I'll use them to get my girlfriend. It's just so dumb that I love that the book is just like, yeah, no, that was really dumb. Actually, it was the lady with like, I've studied black magic all my life. It's cute that you think it is you, Simon. Also, he realizes that he has this amulet, right? And then he's like, oh, the fear family has had powers that it used for evil uh, in its generations long battle against the goods. And it's like, who told you that? Who told you that? Nobody knew except for Frank. And he just sort of babbled some shit before he killed your family. So like, why do you know No one told you this. It's not like you put the amulet on and suddenly you remembered everything because that would have been great. Oh, yeah. The last person who knew anything was Ezra, and that was over a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. And then they buried it and forgot. So yeah. why do you know about this? I mean, the same could be applied to the fucking housekeeper. Like, how the fuck do you know about it? Oh, like, yeah. No, when we get to that one, too, it's the same thing. I'm like, how do you know enough to tell Daniel, for Daniel to tell fucking Nora to write all these fucking books? Who told you? Right? With the detail. With such detail. And it's like... It turns out to also be in the Fear Family Bible, like a, a detailed recounting of all of this. No, it doesn't. Like, it just has the birthdays and, and names and deaths. It doesn't have the details. I thought that they had nope. like a... Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, Daniel's looking at the the book and it just says the dates and he comments that so many deaths so young and some okay. of them two and three at a time. Gotcha. And then the keeper is like, let me tell you the story, the story of your family. <laughs> like, like, yeah, anything. If the amulet, like, bestowed some sort of information, I'll take anything. This is not it. If, like I'd said uh, last time, you know, if Aggie was a fear by blood but not by name descended from one of the daughters and the daughters' children were trying to end the curse or something, anything. There's so much you can work with. Like, God... It is terrifying to be a fear daughter, but if you survive long enough to have children, those children are fine. You might go crazy, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but your children will be okay. Well, I mean, like you said, there's so many venues for this information to come in. It doesn't have to come out of a field like there's... (laughs) There's room, Bob. It doesn't have to be like this. Yeah, it would have been as simple as I'm your great aunt through your your father's sister or something. Well, yeah, and I think we're meant to assume because the uh, a good does show up briefly in the middle story. Lucy, like, yeah. are are we meant to assume that she passed on that information somehow? Like, but she could have been married into the good family too, right? And then she could have been another note that i mean she could have been a fucking unrelated good they're yeah. good such a common sounding name you know especially in fucking puritan times like he's not the only one are you waging a war against literally everybody with the name good simon right you want a specific family like 
I, I understand where Simon freaks out, but doing your due diligence of, are you related to the Wickham goods? A couple generations back? No? All right. Well, Simon does it. Simon gets to know this for about 30 seconds before yeah, catastrophe before strikes. Shit. So, Like, just fucking Wikipedia has good <laughs> listed as a surname. <laughs> like Ancestry.com, sponsored by the Fear family. <laughs> Murder all these people. The fucking Ancestry.com is just a long con by the Fear family. Like, <laughs> all the other data it collects, incidental. We're going to find yeah, the rest of those fucking That's what helps us goods. pay for the website to fuel our revenge. <laughs> Ancestry.com, brought to you by the Fear family. The continuation of their unholy power. Oh my god. It's how they get their unholy power. <laughs> so, god. Something I wanted to mention um, that I didn't have the opportunity to look up. Simon ever mentions the old family, like, house back in Wickham, but they lived, I think, in western Massachusetts. And so get me if I'm wrong, their listeners, but I'm pretty sure that they didn't stick around in the good family. Like, Jonathan and whatnot didn't stay at that house. And so I think they were out in western Massachusetts. And anyway, my point is, this book reminded me that I don't think Bob has an editor. <laughs> there were many little things, like, continuity-wise. Like, at one point, a fear gets called a good, and I'm like, Abigail was a fear, not a good. Jane was a fear, not a good. Um, there's little, like, errors in the text where it's like, an editor should have fucking caught that misspelling or missing, you know, whatever's. And I was like, I don't think he had an editor on this. Well, and we've we've seen accounts like from Christopher Pike and and L. J. Smith and stuff where like they're well, particularly Christopher Pike and Arl Stein of this era, they're banging out a book like every month. Oh yeah. So like it's not surprising to me that these disposable teen pulp thrillers that are going out like once or twice a month are not getting a thorough editing because they don't it care. It makes me so sad though. I know they don't care. That just makes me sad because <laughs> I care because I'm reading this book. And when I read the book and I get pulled out because even though it's only been like a week, I still remember, no, that character is not named this way. Mm -hmm. Could someone have just fucking read them? Could you've just had one person on staff <laughs> whose job was to like, all right, they're super short. You can read each of them in like three hours. Just give me a good continuity read and make sure there's nothing in this one that we're missing. That's it. Just so simple. I could do this job for you, Bob. <laughs> well, and there was no, like, these are kind of pre-internet communities the way that they exist now. Yeah. There's probably not, like, this massive, obsessive fandom cataloging <laughs> information. No. Or if if there was, like, there was not an incentive to fact check stuff the way that there is now because people will catch you on the internet and be like look at this fucking error you know like yeah they buy the books who cares <laughs> the 11 year old didn't notice it's fine yeah exactly so yeah just just little things that i guess what it comes down to is this sense that as previously discussed they're banging out these books mm -hmm. and i hate that feeling you know i i can't expect better of them mm -mm. But, like, this is why I don't read these kinds of books today. 
I honestly think it's kind of fascinating that there was an era, and I'm sure there was an era before this with like actual like pulp shit. Like I read yeah. somewhere that, or I heard somewhere that L. Ron Hubbard was like banging out fucking 40,000 words a fucking month. Like there are people Jeez. that were just fucking writing like they were running out of time, right? <laughs> like, and no. there was just a market for words, disposable fiction, you yeah. know? I mean, there there will always be. People want entertainment, and it's just a matter of which form are they getting it. Right. I mean, like, we have, you know, self-pub Kindle stuff now, where you yeah. can, for 99 cents, read 3,000 words that somebody banged out, and it's fine, you know? You can watch YouTube videos that, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. someone put together in their backyard. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's interesting. High quality, it is not. There's a, I feel like there's a place for... Uh, messy bullshit. <laughs> I'm happy for messy bullshit that I go, God, there's a lot of plot holes. I feel offended when the continuity doesn't match. <laughs> that's that's where I am. Yeah. Like, go ahead, have plot holes where I'm like, how? How does this fucking happen? <laughs> sure, whatever, hand wave. All right, so he's met Angelica. He's obsessed with her. He's told her that he wants to marry her. And she's like, we definitely got like a bait and switch because we ever saw some of this from her perspective oh yeah for sure that's why i was uh for so long convinced that she wasn't doing anything because like uh robert has yet to write a woman with guile at all yeah so the idea that she was keeping her true intentions from the reader was unexpected So, again, as I mentioned, I I remembered what happened. So I was reading it knowing she was doing all this. And I'm like, how? When? Where? Yeah, right? Like, why are you feeling horror, Angelica? You did this. Right? You're like, no. So she's got two suitors beyond Simon. James and Hamilton, whose personalities flip-flop the second scene. And, yeah, she's, like, at the opera with James and her cousin Liza. And... Oh, God, Eliza, I get it. Mm-hmm. Lols. Okay, Um. anyway, Bob probably loves the Hamilton musical. <laughs> and so they're at the opera, and James is there, and then they see Simon. God, everybody's name feels the same on the tongue. And James, like, gets up, and he's moving, and his hands are flapping, and it's odd, and then he falls from the balcony. But like you said, Angelica is, Ah, no, James, you couldn't possibly have done this. And it's like, are you lying even to yourself? Is that what we're getting as readers? Yeah, it's it's very duplicitous on Bob's part in a way that's not clever. That's just lying. Yeah, he's just straight up lying. I love that she's the one who did it. Yeah, for sure. Where she was like, oh no, Simon, definitely you saw me and fell in love. I saw you and was like, oh dip, he's hot. I want him. But, you know, I'm going to lie about it. Yeah, I'm going to pretend to be. And like Bob does the thing where people say how they feel by saying things feelingly. So like there's no room for in interpretation and like, oh, Angelica said something and it could be interpreted in a way yeah. that expresses like horror, but she never really puts emotion to it. Like it's just lying. Yeah, he just tells the story one way. And then at the end, she's like, <laughs> oh, silly boy. No, I've been practicing black magic my whole life. It was me, not you. Yeah, it, which is, again, a great twist. Just not anywhere before that (laughs) you would never see it coming so yeah she murders but we're led to believe it's simon and simon thinks it's simon both james and hamilton 
And then after her cousin has gone back home and she's decided her period of mourning is over, I honestly don't know why, like, Simon didn't try to kill them other times and be like, why isn't it working? Well, there was like, <laughs> so there's, they have a funeral and um the father, her father is at the funeral and they're sort of just like casually discussing stuff. And he's like, he says like very ominously, oh, that was a, a good funeral until the horse pulling the cart tossed its shoe. Right? And I was like, oh, did Hamilton die too? <laughs> Are we going to get a two for here? Right? I thought it was going to be very fast. Instead, it was like, I've known you for a couple weeks, and then I decide to kill James. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But then two more months go by, and then I decide to kill Hamilton. I like to think that Angelica just had enough propriety to be like, well, I am practicing dark magic, but I'm not going to practice <laughs> any while I'm mourning, because that would be inappropriate and tacky. That is true. That's true. That's true. It's inappropriate for me to kill you when i'm mourning my friend <laughs> who i did enjoy and like if there wasn't this other dude i could have ended up marrying right listen i'm not going to murder one lover while mourning for the other that's <laughs> something that the poors would do uncouth crass mm. <laughs> so funny i like i do enjoy the the potential thoughts around why did she delay this at all there was no need for it she could have had them both fucking topple off a fucking dock somewhere. Yeah, it, they could have gotten into a fight and stabbed each other. Like, mm -hmm. anything that would have... I guess, like, you want to throw off suspicion that it has anything to do with you? I guess, but like... Because you are a dark magic user? But if two dudes just fight each other in your honor, then like... Yes. That's just a thing that happened back then, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Very, very much. And um, then Simon shows up on the day that she's no longer mourning her second lover's death. And she and him have a talk. And he's like, I want to marry you. And she's like, yes. <laughs> oh, okay. I wasn't expecting that. She's like, but the problem is my father is in the way. And he's like, look, I got to tell you something. <laughs> I got you a gift. <laughs> Dead dad. But also I killed your lovers. And she's like, you, you did all of this? He's like, for you, for us, for our love. And she's like, that is, that is <gasps> the hottest thing I have ever heard. Oh, my God. But it's so funny that you think it's you. It was me. But you did kill my dad. This is great. Let's get married and drink this blood. Oh, my God. The blood thing was fucking fantastic. So she, yeah, they they find her father dead on the floor. And Angelica's like, oh, Simon, nobody's ever gotten me such a wonderful gift. And, um. <laughs> They hurry back to the sitting room and raise their silver goblets. Let us drink to us. And then they both drink. Delicious. <laughs> so bitter and sweet at the same time. He smiled at her knowingly. It isn't wine, is it? <laughs> no, it's blood. <laughs> like Bob. Bob. <laughs> and he's just like, oh, you're full of surprises tonight. Like, Simon, you're not this person i mean he thinks he murdered two guys he kind of is this person now like i guess but to just drink blood who's fucking blood is it pig blood is it human blood like and then they like <laughs> they like hold each other and tilt the goblets to their lips and the blood runs down their fucking chins and i'm just like you're not new orleans vampires but i appreciate that you're in new orleans like <laughs> pretending to be vampires it is 
peak R.L. Stein Fear Street to have the two of them drinking blood. It's just over the top, unnecessary, and it's what we're here for. Oh, it's so good. I Because this has so many implications. I mean, like you said, Simon is not this dude when he shows up in New Orleans. But nope. like the idea that just using an evil power just unlocks this host of like depravity. Yeah, depravity in you. Like, now I, a human being who've never drunk blood before, thinks blood tastes yummy. Delicious. Like, again, the Simon we knew in the previous book was kind of bookish, from what I remember Mm -hmm. of his description. He was like, he had two sisters. He was kind of gentle. And then at the end, he's like, no, good is bad and evil is good the way to go but then i'm gonna forget about it for a couple of years but then i'm gonna show up and be pissy at all the rich people and oh no i used this amulet no god that guy's face melted but i guess i didn't feel weird about it even though i watched most of my family murdered in front of my eyes by some Mm -hmm. dude and my sister where the hell is she i don't care i guess i dumped her somewhere in georgia like and then just boom just this this cascade of weird shit he's like i'm in love with this girl with green eyes and black tumbling hair and we're in new orleans so i guess everything can be a little spooky ooky <laughs> oh my god ollie what if elizabeth just fell off the carriage somewhere between massachusetts and new orleans <laughs> and simon did not stop For some reason, this feels right. (laughs) He's like, the carriage is a little lighter now. That means we'll go faster. (laughs) I'll get to New Orleans. There's something in New Orleans. Like, it doesn't matter to the plot of the book, but I want to know why did he go to New Orleans? What brought you there, Simon? Good question, because he just shows up there with a fucking burning need to get into this party and marry a rich wife. And it's like, well, I guess this is where life has led you, Simon. (laughs) Yeah. Like, we don't have any indication on how he went down this road. Uh, it's, It's a fascinating little empty spot. It's not a plot hole. It's just kind of like a, eh, no one will care. It's like, it's true. We don't care. It's just Bob being like, "Where uh, we should take a little dip out of Massachusetts and New England for a little while. Where can we? Where's some spooky shit? Oh, New Orleans? Great. Fantastic. He had to hit the other spooky spot in the United States. I love the idea that maybe Bob was like, I have the idea for my twist in this next section of the story. He's going to meet a spooky bitch. Mm -hmm. Where would he meet a spooky bitch? Fucking New Orleans. Great. Right, that's where you can be a young lady and learn dark magic. <laughs> right. I, I love that also that is also a blank space. Like, Angelica never mentions how, like, her father isn't into it. That's- I mean, honestly, thankfully, because I'm pretty sure it would be really fucking racist. Oh, for sure. But I just love the idea that uh, Angelica's just like, I've been drinking blood since I was about six and a half years old. My mother weaned me on it. <laughs> Right? I, My mother, I actually goat. think it would be great if she said, I've been practicing the dark arts since I was young, you know, before my mother passed or something. Like, just anything to be like, how? <laughs> how did this fucking 18-year-old girl her whole life be practicing this? I love the idea that Angelica is just like Damien from The Omen, like her mother was a jackal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she just crawled out of the womb being like, I think I know how to kill chickens and use their blood to like make me pretty, I guess. Right. It's it's very good. Yeah, she is so, so like such a good fear street character. 
She is. And I'm, it hurts my heart that she's so sidelined in the next two stories. I know. Like, I like what happens narratively in the beginning of the next section. But I'm like, yeah, okay, that's that's an interesting choice. Like, it is a choice. But by the end of it, I'm like, oh, God, now we're right back to it. You you had this awesome character, and she was too good, well, too good at being evil and too mm-hmm. powerful that you're like, by the end of it, I've got to make her go crazy. Well, yeah, and it's it's like, this isn't Angelica Pierce's story. Like, this is about the fears. I can't yes, have this unrelated woman being more powerful than the fear scion. <laughs> God. Uh, all right. So there were a couple of things that I wanted to mention before we moved on. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I feel like we have to add Hamilton to the list of good boys for being a fucking abolitionist in like 1840 something. True. Pretty good. He does say specifically that he lectures her on the morality of slavery. And I hope that it is, considering the time period, the fact that it is not moral <laughs> oh yeah, yeah yeah that's the impression i got because angelica definitely talked about it like he was like a boring school teacher and i was like well that doesn't <laughs> say great things about you angelica but you also do um murder people for no <laughs> reason so i murder guess him in fact yeah so i guess morally you're already kind of in the dumpster but still yeah like, she does comment that she does like both of them, and she likes that he's intelligent and things like that. So yeah, good boy Hamilton. So sorry you got caught up in this bullshit. Yeah, it sucks for you, but, uh, you know, put him on the list next to Jonathan. This yeah. book series officially has two good boys. <laughs> <laughs> two boys who are trying to do the right thing. Uh, Second thing, I feel like we have to note that the curse of womanly madness continues. Even in Angelica's first story. Oh, with Liza? Yeah, because obviously Angelica does eventually also fall to the curse of womanly yeah. madness. But Angelica and Liza see Hamilton just squished up, fucking smashed into a little bag of pulp yep. by uh, the water wheel on a steamboat. And when that happens, Liza literally screams, did he fall for like three pages that is all she says did he fall did he fall did he fall did he fall like bob please robert anything else i bobby 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 robert (laughs) you're killing me (laughs) Um, i feel like there's some sort of mimetic curse yeah in fucking fear street land and it just (laughs) passes along from woman to woman she's got the womanlies they become Pokemon. <laughs> scream. What is your name? My name is Diddy Fall. Oh, did you catch a Diddy Fall? I did. <laughs> Diddy Fall? Diddy Fall? Diddy Fall? Diddy Fall? Diddy Fall? Jeremy? 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 <laughs> Jeremy? 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> it happens to Nora too. Daniel? Daniel, Daniel? Briefly <laughs> catches Daniel, the Daniel, Daniels. Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, Daniel, Daniel! Come out, Daniel! Come out, come out! <laughs> oh, there's one more. What is it? It's, uh... Can you stop? Can you stop? Can you stop? <laughs> oh, Angelica catches it, too, because she's... Simon? Simon, Simon! Simon! No, no Simon, 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 Simon. Simon! <laughs> and it's usually the dude's fucking name. 
Yeah, no, it is. It's because like there's one way for a woman to go crazy in this world, and it's to watch scream a about a man, die, or do something horrible, and then yeah. mm, there we go. Yep, it's just it's such a fucking wonderful tick of RL signs to <laughs> see over and over again in this one series. Mm-hmm. Uh, everybody, take a shot when a woman says the same thing over and over. At and least over three again. times in a row. Take a shot. Add it to the fucking bingo card. Anyway, <laughs> we move on. Time passes. 1865. We're back in Shadyside Village for some reason, because apparently New Orleans isn't the place to be. Gotta set up fucking Fear Street, man. <clears throat> right? I will say, however, um, Simon and Angelica have the most children. Which leads me to believe they are super horny for each other. This is the one thing I love about this section of the book is how much Simon still gives a shit about Angelica, even yes. after he's not the young lover character anymore. Yeah, he doesn't automatically, like, hate her. He cares about her. He wants to spend time with her. He worries for her. He still thinks she's beautiful. Yeah, like, there are typical Bob-type comments. Let's see, wait, it's 65, and she was born. 28, 30, 40, 50, 60. Okay, this is so funny to me. So she is, again, like my age. So she's in her late 30s. <laughs> and she's described as still beautiful, but, you know, her getting a little tight in the, like, eyes or something. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we can see that she's, lo- like, losing her youth. Mm-hmm. But she is still hot. So she's, like... Morticia Adams hot still, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is great. I know it's fantastic, and like Simon's like worried about her, like she he finds her like passed out or something. He's like, no, my Angelica, like no. he gives a shit, and it's the first time that because I can't think of anybody who's not playing the young lover role who has ever given a shit about their wife. Not even Edward really gave a shit about Rebecca. No, he was mostly stressed because of, like, their child. He even comments, he's like, what happened to the giggly young girl I met? In his head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, my wife's fucking boring now. Had a kid. Yeah. Gross. She's now, like, a nursemaid, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, you know, just more reasons to uh, to enjoy, you know, sailing this fucking Simon and Angelica ship. <laughs> the one Which good is couple. So sad that it's like you are terrible people. But at least you love each other. And that's important. Yeah. I think I feel like Simon is the only patriarch who gives a shit about his family at all. He does. He's terrible to Julia. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is the oldest daughter because he's like, Ugh, it sucks. You've got like your mother's beautiful black hair. But you've got, like, these gray eyes, and they're too close together, and your jaw is too wide, and your nose is too long. Like, dude, you have sat there and looked at your daughter and been like, mm-hmm. you're not attractive. And yet somehow they have a blonde daughter, even though the both of them have black hair. I don't know. Right? How did that happen, sir? Bob doesn't understand genetics. No, I... <laughs> like, the idea that that's some more unfilled space where they just, like, Maybe they just had, like, a third for a while, you know? And, like, <laughs> Hannah's his daughter. But I don't mention it because it was fine. Yeah. So Julia is plain. And, like, even the description, I'm like, yo, you're mean. That girl's <laughs> right? probably fine. She's not ugly. She's just not <laughs> right? her younger sister. 
Simon's out here with the fucking calipers, like measuring the distance <laughs> between her eyes, like Simon. And he's like, mm, you just, you're really quiet and you only really, I see you smile when you're making your pottery. This one's going to be a burden. I'm going to have to pay for this one for the rest of my life. I know it. <laughs> spinster. You've got spinster written all over you, child. <laughs> How many cats does she have? No, no more, Julia. <laughs> I love that, like, she doesn't even have the dog. She's got nothing. She's got her pottery. You're just like, wow, this is really unfortunate. And you would think that there would be something for her, considering the parents that she has. Right, like, make Julia your fucking dark wizardess. Like, exactly. Come on, Simon. Well, how come mom isn't teaching anybody any of this shit? In the third section, we see that Simon just has these books laying out in his, Ugh. like, bookshelves for anybody to notice. It's so annoying because uh, Angelica says herself that she's been learning the dark arts since she was, like, a girl. So, yeah, why have we not made this the family business? Come on. I think Bob did Julia dirty by not letting her be being taught by their mother. Like, maybe, oh, I don't want Hannah to be touched by this, Simon, like, could have said. And Angelica being like, that's that's ridiculous. I turned out awesome with dark arts. Why would you not want her to have it? But whatever, I'll teach Julia. <laughs> well, even even the idea that, you know, Santa, or uh, Julia who ends up being, you know, the culprit behind everything. Like, she could have used her fucking dark magic to do it. And then, oh, look, the fears fucking up their own lives with dark magic again. Right. You know? And being like, there is a curse, but we are the ones who probably put it on us by accident. By fucking around with everything. (laughs) Especially in this one. It really feels like the, the actual canonical moral of this series is just like, oh, we thought we were cursed, but really the curse is our fucking superstition and hatred of one another. Like, there is no curse. Yeah, exactly. There's just stupid people for generations. It's just boys deciding that, like, they hate each other and that their kids can't get married. Right, yeah. Because there's no, like, overtly supernatural stuff, except, I guess, for what happens to Abigail. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's just them. <laughs> it's you. You're the curse. All of you. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> Julia is plain and Hannah is beautiful and witty. And there's a new maid named Lucy who Mrs. Mackenzie, the housekeeper, knows is a good, but is like, you should keep your fucking mouth shut, child. And Lucy's like, yeah, I absolutely am going to keep my mouth shut about that. But Bob does a weird little thing mm-hmm. where it's like, she makes a look. And it's like, Bob, don't fucking do this to us. She's not the problem. Right. Uh, I like to think that she is probably Nora's, like, aunt or something. <laughs> I enjoy thinking that she was just an unrelated lady named Good. Which could also happen. <laughs> Simon finds Angelica passed out, thinks she's dead, but she comes to and she's like, no, I was communing with the spirits. And he's all like, babe, maybe you should like give up this dark magic. Like you're pushing Ugh. 40. Like we could just not do this anymore. I beg of you, come come down to the party. And she's like, no, man, I read the tarot cards, which I'm not going to call by the name. And they said, I can't do any celebrating today. And you know, I can't go against what the cards say. So I appreciate that Angelica became obsessive mm-hmm. about her dark magic and that it's like definitely running her life. Um, we were told in the first section that she is frailer than she appears. So like we do see that like, 
she is often sick and things like that. So it's like, all right, that's fine. I, I believe that this is a natural progression for this character. But meanwhile, Lucy fucks up and breaks Julia's favorite bowl. That was the best bowl I ever made. <sighs> and I feel like this is the point where Julia was like, oh, I can use this new maid as a problem because dad decided Hannah, who is younger than me, will host the dinner since mother is not available. Right, and I'm a girl, and I can't ever have a relationship with another girl that's not, like, vicious or jealous in some way. Right, we couldn't just be good sisters. One thing I wanted to note that's kind of kind of disappointing about uh, Simon and Angelica. You mentioned that Simon had chosen Hannah to host the dinner, and the dinner is it's like a fundraising thing like yeah. simon is trying to get the wealthier people of shady side to invest in like a library or something because like his his whole like deal has been like building a, a legacy of like legacy. buildings and shit that um the fears are leaving in shady side and like they're not poor. Like they're, they're like the most wealthy people in Shady Side. But the thing that Simon has been focused on, what he pushes his kids towards is like success. You gotta be successful. You gotta have your shoes. names on buildings and shit. And I'm like, sir, you are a dark wizard. <laughs> right? Why is this your focus? This is so boring simon the man that you've become you drank blood with angelica what is this you're pushing 40 and you've decided that the most important thing for your sons to achieve is financial success yeah where did your dark legacy go your kids are so pretty much normal until you like snub julia right like this is so boring julia should be a dark wizard your sons should be learning how to, like, manipulate people, I guess, or something. Like, lean into it. It's just so weird when it's, like, one generation is evil and their children are, are fine. Well, and it's, I, I see it as, like, the through line for the fears. Like, Matthew and Benjamin were fucking terrified of being yeah. poor again, eating potatoes uphill both ways, whatever. <laughs> but, like, With the Simon... horse strapped to their back. <laughs> Simon, he had a good life. Like his family wasn't poor. They were not. Like they were fine. But you have Simon in the beginning of this book as like a social climber who's like, I'm going to find a rich woman and marry her. And then he does. And he's still obsessed with that decades later, even after they're the most powerful family in town. Why? Bob, this is so boring. It is this weird, weird classism thing. Where it's just like they're they're such new money, <laughs> but Angelica isn't. Angelica should be there to temper Simon. Just be like, she dude, we're fine. Our kids are rich and they're white, and their lives are gonna be fine. <laughs> they're rich buddy. and they're white, and I'm teaching them magic, baby. Yeah, it's just it's so boring. And like, if this were Ezra or one of the other characters that we've seen come from poverty. I would understand it a little more, but the fact that it's Simon who had a perfectly fine home life until yeah. his family was decimated by a murder hobo. Yeah, his trauma wasn't poverty. 
Exactly. It's just very weird and frustrating for Bob to go back to this. Yeah, it does. It it feels like, you know, you said at the beginning that there are four characters you can be, and this is one, and he doesn't know how to do it otherwise. <laughs> right. Just come on. I, I want the loving but evil Adam's family that we were promised. Yeah. I want Angelica to be a fucking Elizabeth Bathory character. Yes. Who is like, yes. oh, Lucy is so young. She has red hair. How interesting. Bring me some of her blood. Mm -hmm. Bring her here. I want to make her cry. Ah, excellent. Now I have her tears. Like, just revel in your ridiculous magic. Right? Or, like, the daughters being like, we're learning our mother's blood-drinking ways, and we're going to torment this new mate. Right? Instead of trying to pin your jealousy on Lucy... So you can kill your sister, so your dad has to pay attention to you. What is that bullshit? I do love that Lucy Good is kind of just a black cat in this story. (laughs) She just sort of walks through like, oh, look at me. I'm a bad omen, and then wanders out of the story. Wait, they're like, oh, good, oh, no. And she's like, I left hours ago. (laughs) Pirouetting down the street, just like, goodbye. Gonna go back to hang out with my brother and open a general store. (laughs) (laughs) so lucy fucks up and and breaks this pot hannah is wonderful at dinner but julia accidentally gets fucking lobster bisque poured on her because i'm sure she bumped lucy's hand and had this happen yeah and she tries to throw suspicion at lucy onto hannah being like didn't you see did you see the way she looked at me and hannah's like no i was worried about you dear sister but then Hannah puts on a shoe the next day and there's like a fucking piece of glass. Oh, no, no, wait, no, no. She goes to bed that night and there's a snake in her bed. And she saw Lucy (laughs) leaving the room. And again, this is where it would have been great if Julia was learning mother's magic because it would be like, oh, yes, I took on the appearance of Lucy to sneak into your room and put the snake there so that you suspected her. And then I saw that Lucy was cleaning your room. So I moved your shoe and put a piece of glass in it. But, you know, of course, wouldn't be that interesting. So they go on a picnic, they pass by an open grave because the gardener um, had died a couple days ago and and the servants and the people in town are going to bury him in the family plot, which is, alright, whatever. But they go on a picnic (laughs) and Julia made sure that Lucy made lunch. Like, she says it out loud to Hannah, I'll go make sure Lucy makes us some lunch. And they've got their little dog Fluff who showed up for one scene before, and I'm like, oh, that dog is dying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, immediately, that dog is dead. You are so dead. You are here to die. And he eats a little piece of meat pie, and he immediately fucking dies. <laughs> it's terrible, too. Like, it's I, I appreciate... Gruesome. Yeah, he doesn't linger too long on it. Like, there's no melting skin or bone or anything. But he does let you know that dog dies in agony. Yeah, that, that dog did not die... A simple clean death, with the intention being that um, Hannah and her siblings were about to also die a grisly death. Hannah storms back to the house to try to find father and tell him, and instead she finds Lucy, and she's like, fuck, you poisoned us. And Mrs. Mackenzie's like, no, she didn't. Listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth. Julia prepared your lunch. She told Lucy to leave the kitchen. And dun dun dun, it's been revealed. Probably some of the best scene in the the section comes up when 
Hannah goes to confront Julia. Do you want to dramatically read? Sure. Julia appeared next. As she stepped out of the woods, she stopped a few yards from Jenkins's coffin. She was carrying the picnic basket, but set it down when she saw Hannah hurrying toward her. Hannah, did you find father? Did you tell him about Lucy? Panting hard, struggling to catch her breath, Hannah stared intently at her sister, studying her face, searching for the truth in Julia's small gray eyes. Small gray eyes? God, Bob. I know. Julia, it was you! Hannah finally managed to choke out. As she stared back at Hannah, Julia's eyes turned cold. She nodded. You tried to poison me. Hannah accused, her voice just above a whisper. Julia didn't deny it. She stared back, emotionless, her expression a blank. Why, Julia? Hannah demanded. Why? I hate you, Hannah, Julia replied quietly, calmly. I want you to die. But why? 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 Hannah shrieked, take a shot. She realized (laughs) she was more horrified by Julia's coldness than by her action. Why should you be the hostess? Julia demanded, her black curls falling forward. She made no attempt to push them back. Why should I not be the pretty one, the charming one? Why should I not be father's favorite? Why should I not take mother's place? I am the oldest and the smartest and... and... Her normally pale face was scarlet now. Her eyes burned into Hannah's. Her shoulders trembled. Julia's hands were balled into tight, angry fists at her side. Hannah shrank back, suddenly frightened. Julia, you, you put the snake in my bed. You put glass in my shoe. You, Hannah's terrified voice caught in her throat. Julia didn't deny it. I wanted you to be scared. I wanted you to bleed. I wanted you to die! With a furious cry, (laughs) Julia attacked Hannah, leaping onto her, wrapping her hands around Hannah's throat. Startled, caught completely off guard, Hannah stumbled and fell backward. She landed hard on her elbows and cried out from the pain. Julia landed on top of her, her hands still at Hannah's throat. Blah, blah, blah. They fight, they fight, they fight. The point of the matter is, die, die, die! Julia shrieked (laughs) at the top of her lungs as her hands tightened victoriously around Hannah's throat. Viciously. Right? She's just like, you did this. Why? Because I fucking hate you. Oh, okay. She's like, well, that kind of came out of nowhere, sis, but all right. (laughs) Yeah. You two seemed okay. Like, they had a secret little hiding place they used to Mm -hmm. hang out and talk to each other. Like... I mean, that's the thing is that uh, as with the relationship between Kate and Elizabeth, there didn't appear to be any malice before the the reveal. And then it's yeah. like, no, I hated you all along. Or, no, you took my man. <laughs> it's ridiculous. I really liked their their friendship, their sisterhood. And then it was like... Because I hate you, because you're pretty and smart. I'm like, oh my god, why? Right, it's why should I not be the pretty one? Bob! Bob! You're making bad choices for young girls, Bob. Bob, let women have dimensions, Bob. Seriously, let them have friends. Nobody has friends. Oh no. The only person who has a friend is Angelica with Liza, who is her cousin, who then fucks off back to Virginia. Yep, she goes boy mad and disappears. He fell, did he fall, did he fall? And then she goes home, and we never hear about her ever again. Yeah. So, you don't get friends in this world. 
No, it's and it's again, it's that fucking the pure utility of it. Just like I yeah. need exactly these characters and no more. And I've got to knock this out before the third. So I really can't <laughs> spare time for bullshit. If I want to have any time with my family this weekend, I write a book. Right. Listen, it's either these characters have friends or I spend time at my son's baseball game. I think we can all agree. I'm choosing to be a dad, unlike everybody else in these books. Right. And you know what? Good on you, Bob. Good on you. I like to believe that's how it went. Yeah, I hope you got to spend a lot of quality time with your son instead of putting effort into these books. (laughs) This is... This is the problem with trying to be a writer that gives a shit. You can be a writer, or you can have a life. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Or especially at the volume at which you were expected to write in the 90s, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because for sure, people who put out, like, one book every couple of years, they they have a life. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The ones who put out one book a year... That's probably a little harder. Right. And one book a month is just a fucking rat race. Unbearable. No. Cannot imagine it. All right. So Hannah, um, or Julia thinks she's murdered Hannah by choking her out. But Hannah was alive. Julia tries to come at her again, but Hannah picks up the shovel that made Jenkins's grave hole. Grave hole? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take a walk by the old grave hole. (laughs) That's where they're going to put Jenkins. In the old grave hole. (laughs) Got another servant for the grave hole. (laughs) I hope you're hungry. No, 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 no. I'm a Starbuck pit. (laughs) He's going to kind of put Julia in the grave hole. Nobody will find her there. Good eating. (laughs) So... Um, Hannah fucking smacks Julia in the goddamn head. Her <laughs> eyes bulge wide. They roll up into her head. She drops to her knees. Blood spurts from her nose down her chin. And she drops face down into the grass. And Hannah is like, oh my god, I killed her. I killed Julia. Oh, and then I, Hannah briefly goes girl mad. Yeah, like, she imagines that she, like, watches the sun go down and come back up before she does anything. And it's like, no, child, that did not happen. She opens up the coffin to put Julia in and, you know, the old man's purple face stared up blankly at her. The eyes had sunk deep into Jenkins' skull. The lips were pulled tight in a hideous death grin. Sobbing loudly, struggling to hold back her disgust, Hannah frantically grabbed her sister's body under the arms and pulled it to the coffin, lifted Julia's body so heavy in death, shoved it into the coffin on top of the rotting gardener, (laughs) shoved it, sobbing trembling shoved it shoved it in bop it it twist it slap it (laughs) knock it shove it into the grave into the grave hole like bob what is this i was particularly upset by the writing in this one it was not good from page one it was not good not a good tack slammed it clasped it ran blindly (laughs) (laughs) i do love though that she's like having this horror of having killed her only sister, and then the comment of her only sister, who hated Hannah enough to try to murder her. She did try to kill me, so. In a court of law, the (laughs) only thing I did wrong was try to hide the body. Right. (laughs) 
like that scene at the end of Scream, like Hannah sitting there shoving Julia's body into the grave. I just, oh, Dad's oh, gonna, Dad's be, gonna so be so mad. mad. I killed the daughter he doesn't love. <laughs> Which is wild because then immediately Simon is so upset that they can't find Julia. Julia, whom he has given no fucks about. Julia, who is not attractive. Julia, who is too quiet and only likes her pottery. Julia, who was passed over for Hannah to be the hostess. Suddenly he's like, Julia, where is Julia? Where is Julia? I've not seen her father. Maybe she's still outside. Can you find her? Where is she? Blah, 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 blah. And he runs the grounds looking for her, muttering, trying to find her, being like, sometimes she stays out late. What the fuck is she doing? But then, but then he hears it. The wind howled through the trees, or was it the wind? And he, like, listens and he hears, like, this animal screaming. He did good on his perception check. He did. He did a really good job. And he tries to find it, and he's, like, trying to follow it, and he's like, where the hell is it? And then he realizes, (laughs) no, it's coming from beneath me, from the ground. What is happening? Oh, no, it's a freshly dug grave. And for some reason, the shovel is still there. Oh, I know, and it's... There's no evidence. There's, like, no blood, no hair. Like, Hannah used this to cream her sister's face, and they cannot tell. There was no blood on the shovel. There's no blood in the dirt. She didn't cover it up. She didn't try to wipe anything off. I would have loved if she, like, wiped the shovel off on her daughter's, uh, on her her sister's dress or something. Just being like, put all the dirt that has blood in it in here. Right. (laughs) Simon digs up this freshly dug grave opens the coffin her her cries have stopped before he began digging though which is like the saddest thing and he just like gets in there and he pulls open the coffin julia simon cried out when he saw his daughter sprawled on top of the gardener's corpse her black hair had fallen over her face he brushed it back gently his hand trembling loud sobs escaping his throat dead she was dead so pale her face was locked in a grimace of terror her lifeless eyes wide dried blood was caked over her nose and chin all right hold on a sec i gotta get get further away from the mic hold on all right no (laughs) (laughs) the howl erupted from simon it echoed against the dark walls of the grave he had opened he gaped in horror at his daughter Her fingernails were torn and bloodied. Simon saw long scratch marks along the inside of the coffin lid. Buried alive, he realized. Julia was buried alive. The wind howled above him. He gazed up at the sliver of pale moon. He couldn't bear to look at her any longer. Who? He cried, scrambling out of the hole, scrabbling over the soft, dirt, his arms thrashing wildly. Who did this? Who? Back up on solid ground, he staggered toward the house. Who did this? Who murdered my ugly daughter? (laughs) (laughs) He tossed the cloak to the ground and began to run. Alright, we're stopped there, but like... (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't give a shit. He doesn't. He he does, because as we've discussed, he does care about his family, but it sure would have been fucking nice if instead he was gentle to Julia, being like, 
You're your mother's favorite. You have been learning the dark arts. Darling, you don't have to be your daughter. You have a different place for her to have, like, coveted Hannah's place instead. Right, or if he lashed out and then was gentler to her. Because, like, all we saw before was him, like, being snide and dismissive. Like, oh, she broke my pottery. Like, oh, you can make another one. Nobody gives a shit, Julia. I wish he had been gentle to her about that being like, oh, it was my favorite, too. Yeah. Perhaps you could make one that's better. Your skill has improved since then. Like, anything to make us see that he cared about both his daughters. So that Julia being jealous of Hannah felt more peculiar. Right. And I I get the balance, right? Because like you're Bob, you don't want to spend a lot of time on this. Your wife has called you for dinner. You're (laughs) trying to wrap this up. Literally five more sentences added interspersed earlier in this section would have been all he needed to do. Right. But you're just sitting there like, okay, it has to be believable that Julia is jealous of Hannah. And it makes sense if she's jealous of Hannah if her dad treats her like shit. <laughs> and she's plain. And she has no <laughs> talent. And she's quiet and doesn't have any conversational skills. Got right, it. Right. But I have to then make it believable that the father loses his mind at the prospect of her being dead, even though he made it very clear early on that this girl was dead weight. You you gotta you gotta walk a better line than this, Bob. Otherwise, yeah. it feels like he's just running through the graveyard. Like, no, whose features am I going to measure for inadequacy now? <laughs> How will I know that Hannah is so so perfect? <laughs> I can't compare her to her brothers. They're all of adequate looks. <laughs> None of them have any personality. <laughs> younger boy younger boy youngest boy done (laughs) right yeah no it's it's ridiculous honestly the reaction felt more like how he would have been if hannah had died yeah 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 yeah. or if he had been a father (laughs) yeah if he had been equally kind i definitely would have preferred julia being upset about not being as good at the things that her sister was As opposed to dad being like, you're useless. If dad was like, you have these skills. I like you for these reasons. Yeah, it's just, it doesn't work. The the point is that it doesn't work within the framework that Bob has set up. Even for the very tenuous and surface level shit that we have going on in these books, it still doesn't work. No, it does not. And then Simon runs back and he's like, Mrs. Mackenzie, blah, 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 where, you know, where are you? Where are you? And he finds the servant list and sees Lucy Good's name and he's all like, no. Oh, this is good, though. Not a good, not a good in my house. (laughs) This this girl is just like, I don't, I don't know who you are. I just (laughs) needed a a job. There was an opening. (laughs) I came from Minnesota. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Like. I don't know. I've never been to Wickham. I don't know why you're acting like this, sir. Right? And, like, he flips shit, thinks that she has murdered his his Julia. This is the first time you've given a shit about Julia now that she's Ugh, dead. I know. Grabs the silver pendant, feels the warmth and the power, and then, like, grabs a sword from his collection of war relics because he's been collecting, oh. like, yeah. This is how you know how boring Simon is. He has a collection of war relics, but they're from both the North and the South. The war that is currently going on. Simon has become a fucking centrist. That's how boring Simon has gotten. 
Like, no, you are a dark wizard, sir. Either be like, even dark wizards don't support slavery, or be like, no, I'm a really big fan of what those boys in the gray are doing. Or be blue, like, I don't remember what Like, I think that would have been great if he was like, no, 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 we don't do that. We either yeah. kill people or we don't. We don't. <laughs> right. But slavery. <laughs> mm, no. No, but it's like Bob being like, well, I can't. I can't support one side or the other. So we'll can't just have you? our evil can't wizards. You? Isn't there sir. a clear answer? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I don't want to offend the people south of the fucking Mason-Dixon line. So we're just going to say both they sides. Are, How's that? They are losers by the very definition. They lost. <laughs> no. It's 1992, and I want these books to sell. Oh my gosh. Like I couldn't say the devil. <laughs> oh, yep. So he grabs this fucking sword, which we think is probably what that dagger on the front is meant to be. And mm-hmm. my theory is that when he touched the pendant, he wanted to find Julia's murderer. Mm, okay. And so when he grabbed the sword, because the, the sword starts fucking glowing, right? Mm-hmm. And he runs through the house thinking I'll find her, I'll find Lucy good, I'll put an end to the evil. And we hear Angelica being like, Simon, what are you doing, Simon? But he doesn't slow down, the sword is glowing. She's like, Simon, stop! And then he finds, there she stood, a bright blurred figure walking toward him beyond the blinding glow of the blade. Yes, he had found her, yes, the maid, the good, good walking in his own hallway. And Angelica keeps being like, Simon, stop, Simon! stop but he can't stop (laughs) take a shot (laughs) and he lowers the sword and the girl shrieks and then he fucking plunges the sword deep into the maid's chest but oh dip it's not it's hannah he has stabbed his fucking daughter yep i really appreciate that lucy good left and resigned after the accusations (laughs) that like (laughs) this is what he learns she has standards. It's like, I do not deserve to be treated this way. Yeah. She's like, Hannah made ac- accusations. She packed her bag and left. Bye-bye. <laughs> so like, so there are two options here. Either this is like Lucy Good from Minnesota and she had no idea what the fuck was going on. <laughs> or this was Lucy Good pulling a Frank, but better. Right? Of being like, I'm going to get you to murder each other and then I'm going to leave. But I don't think the goods know any of this because Nora doesn't. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And even the way Nora's dad acts just seems like I will not have you fucking marry the town evil. Yeah, 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 yeah. He doesn't seem to know any of it. Well, and, you know, Daniel has to tell Nora everything so clearly. Yeah, right? Couldn't have had the good side of the story and then been like, two pieces of the puzzle. So, yeah. Uh, Simon murders Hannah, Julia is dead, Angelica ends up shrieking, Simon, 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 on, Simon, 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 Simon. No, I, we need to do this. Okay, so for, for the last chapter of the book, she says, Simon, 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 <laughs> Simon, 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 uh. Simon, 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 Simon. <laughs> That is all she says in this whole chapter. That's it. She just screams Simon over. Well, and it actually says that she's chanting. So maybe at this point, Angelica's just like, he fucked up. Simon. That's it. Simon. 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 They're like, his head will explode. His head will explode. She's like, you just stabbed our daughter. Like, I don't even know Julia's dead. 
Right, I'm going to use my dark magic that I have to murder you for stabbing my daughter, you fucking twit. Yeah, he just comes in and and gets a fucking sword and goes and kills Hannah. Right, with her telling him, like, no, don't do that. Hey, don't do that. Hey, man. Hey, hey man. Hey, hey, Simon. Simon. Snap Simon. the fuck out of it, dude. Simon. You didn't even tell us that Julia is dead. He just comes in and murder murders his second daughter, apropos of nothing. Yeah. Nothing. And he's like, I thought it was Lucy Good. Why would you try to murder Lucy Good, Simon? <laughs> oh, look, so obviously the maid has heard of the good name enough to know that Simon blames the goods for something. Like, cause she tells Lucy that. So I imagine, like, Angelica's like, Simon, is this like last time? Is this like <laughs> last time when you said there was a good, but it turned out to be a fucking raccoon, Simon? <laughs> In the trash. And you thought it was the good stealing our leftovers? You ran out. You ran out onto the lawn with that stupid sword in your fucking dressing gown. And there was nothing out there, Simon. Nothing. But the thing is, we learn that he has ignored it because he thought Frank Good was the last of them. The goods are never mentioned in the first section. He has nothing to do with it. It's just him and his dark wizard powers. Honestly, the second section going back to the whole good feud, even if it's just to torment Simon, 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 <laughs> is boring. It's back to business as usual. Mm-hmm. I hate it. Yeah, well, and it's that thing where he falls into being the Benjamin, the stock yep. character, where he's like, I only care about money, murdering the goods, <laughs> even though canonically I thought the goods have been dead for like decades. <laughs> yeah. yeah. In this book, though, at this point, I did note that this one held my attention a lot better. Mm-hmm. And I think because it was ultimately just about Simon, like, though he's not nearly as interesting as I'd want him to be. Mm-hmm. This one was a lot faster of a read than book one or book two, especially book one. Like book one, even though, you know, it was a fast read, I felt like it just fucking dragged. See, I had the opposite experience. I made it through the first two thirds in one day, but it was, it was very pulling teeth. Like the, I found the stuff where Simon was, or where Angelica was watching her suitors die kind of boring until the twist. Mm. And then the middle section is short, but it's, like you said, it's going back to business as usual. Yeah. So it's just like, ugh, when is it going to be about Daniel and Nora? Come on. I remembered the twist in the first section very early on, so I was intrigued watching that. Mm -hmm. The second section was just me plowing through it. (laughs) Waiting for that scene. Waiting for that scene. That one scene, which... The one where he finds Julia in the ground, buried alive. It was both less dramatic than I remember it. Like, I thought there was a really good description on it when I was a kid. <laughs> and also somehow more gruesome. Because I had forgotten that she was plopped in there on top of an already dead person. That's <laughs> <laughs> a good touch. It's yeah. a good touch. That was a very good thing to have not remembered. It made it very spooky. Because <laughs> I was just remembering, I thought like, oh, she, maybe like when the snake was in the bed, I thought, oh, is it a scorpion and she's going to get buried alive and, mm-hmm. and it, the poison works out of her system or something. But it wasn't even Hannah, it was Julia. <laughs> so it was very good that it was Julia. It was very good that she was on top of another fucking body. <laughs> like, <gasps> oh, so that was good. I did get the scene, but like the description was so boring. Like we read it, it was just kind of 
more interested in Simon's horror than on the horror of the girl. But when I was a kid, I definitely like put myself in Julia's position of like, yeah, I just woke up. I've got like the worst fucking headache. I'm what is that smell? What am I on top of? Oh my god! Like I thought about Julia's like process. <laughs> it was not great. I, and that just goes to show that even the shit that Bob knocks out before he goes down to have his fucking meatloaf and cauliflower <laughs> can spark, you know, a child's imagination. Yeah, and so. that scene stuck with me forever. You know, I get to it now and I'm like, that is not as spooky as I remember it. But that's because I really fucking thought about it. But good right, job yeah. on him. Yeah, you know, Bob put the fucking uh, notes on there and it was up to the reader to fill them in. Yeah, because... We get there and she's dead, but we know she was alive a minute ago, which is like, oh shit, this girl just scared herself to death because she thought she was trapped in here forever with a dead body and no one was coming for her. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow, that's terrifying. Yep. I mean, that, that janitor, not janitor, that servant definitely did die with a boner, which just adds to the horror. <laughs> Please God, no. <laughs> no chickens. <laughs> Uh, all right, so we're on to the last fucking section. Fucking finally. We've got like 50 fucking pages left. It's Shadyside 1900, baby. Yeah, yeah. Daniel is the youngest son who the son was five yes. when he saw his dad kill his like sister Hannah. And he fucks off to Boston as soon as possible. Yeah, he was just like, my dad has problems. He just came in and stabbed my sister. There was no reason for it. Because they don't know that she she did that to Julia. And the, you know, it may not be a mystery to the rest of the family, but to the rest of the town, the death of the two fear girls is, like, nobody knows why or how. Oh my god, I love the story later that Nora gets told from her dad. The way that these these myths just morph. Mm -hmm. Where her dad is like, well... 35 years ago, the two fear girls died. They found them in the woods without bones, Nora. No bones. Ooh, <laughs> that was, was like, a nice touch. Boneless fucking fears. <laughs> like, how? How did that happen? Like, like, Nora's dad, please just, please just sit with me for a moment. How did they get the bones out? How did the bones dad? get out? Like, you believe, and I love that Nora's like, you believe that? And he's like, I do. <laughs> I do. Have you seen? Can you imagine, Nora, a boneless just girl? Boneless chicken wing girl. Just <laughs> Disgusting. Disgusting, Nora. Think about that, okay? I was five when I thought about that, and I just... <laughs> no bones. Nora, I like your bones. I don't want you to be without bones. Right? <laughs> they can just put you on like a skin suit. I don't love that. <laughs> I want the best for you, Nora, and the best for you involves not <laughs> keeping your bones. <laughs> so I do love that the town is like, we don't know what happened. Eh, somewhere along the line, someone said boneless chicken. And <laughs> suddenly the Fear Street girls have no bones. Somebody was talking about dinner and also talking about the Fear Street girls. And they were just like, the wires got crossed, you know? It's so funny to me. But yeah, it's <laughs> it makes everything that Nora has written down suspect. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because 
probably we're getting the version that Bob wants us to believe is true. Yeah. It happened. Yeah. But you see things like little Abigail being abducted by a fucking ghost, and then there's a <laughs> grave with a headstone and her name on it. And I'm like, did it though? <laughs> did it? Like, Nora, Nora, how did they make the gravestone, Nora? Right. You know, and then his head popped. And I'm like, did it though? <laughs> so all of these stories are thrown into unreliable narrator because it's just myth passed down for like 200, 300 years told to Daniel, told to Nora that came from a housekeeper who wasn't even a fear. <laughs> or a good. Just neither. God, this fucking dangling thread of it could have just been fear women who didn't have the fear name anymore. Bob, it would have been great. Bob just, he has to whip out these utility people because the the way that the fear and the good stories have played out, like, there's no way to pass down the tale. No, there's not. He just has to fill in the gaps with these people who know the tale for some reason. <laughs> Somebody knows. But again, as we saw, as we see with her dad... This shit just gets word of mouth telephoned. <laughs> All right. So Daniel arrives in the year 1900 from Boston. He didn't even know he had grandparents until somehow he got like a, I guess his parents probably got an invite to Simon Fear's 75th birthday. And he decides he's actually going to fucking go and he goes to town and he seems like a pretty good boy in these opening scenes. Like... Yeah, Daniel, you can, you can add Daniel to the list of good boys. Yeah, he, like, has no personality halfway through the section. Yes. But the beginning of the section, I really liked Daniel. He was great. I was curious as to why it was his perspective and not Nora's, but, uh, you know. You know. I have waited three books, Bob. Three <laughs> Give books. Me Nora. Why are you telling me Nora's story from Daniel's point of view, Bobbert? Bobbert. Robert Stein, get your ass down here. Explain yourself. <laughs> Did you write this? Did you write this? <laughs> Is this your writing? No meatloaf and cauliflower for you. <laughs> so that was very confusing and harkens back to our conversation early on about it should have just been the two of them for six months writing all of this down because then I could have yeah. been like, great, makes sense. He gets to the fear mansion. He's greeted but not greeted by Miss old Mrs. McKenzie, who is now the only servant left but she's just basically like stay away from here get the fuck out and he's like no, okay. no no it's cool i'm family i have a question about like so we we meet angelica and simon again and they are old as balls right he's 75 and she's probably like over 70 how old was mrs mckenzie that she's taking care of these other old people like i kind of imagined her to be roughly their same age same. So why is she taking care of like, She should also be like curled up in front of a fire somewhere. I know, but hey, this is a class divide. <sighs> yeah, I just, I just don't know how she has like the physical capability to do it, you know? <laughs> to be, what is it? Housekeeper, maid, valet, and butler. <laughs> right, to, to these two old fucking evil wizards. But she does, so, you know... She brings Daniel to meet his grandparents while she goes to, like, prepare his room. And I love the scene with Angelica, even Ugh. though I hate it for her. But, like, I love that he sees her. All right, so Angelica was stretched out on a purple velvet chaise longue beside the fire. It's probably long. Chaise longue beside the fire. She wore an elegant black dress with a white lace collar. 
She smiled at Daniel as he approached, but made no attempt to stand. As she smiled, Daniel saw that her skin was delicate and translucent and tight against the bone, making her face resemble that of a grinning skull. Her hair fell loosely down her back. It was as white as snow. So it's just giving me some real continuation of Morticia Adams vibes. Yeah, she's got she's got very evil queen vibes, I dig it. Yeah, just like her hair's gone white, that's fine. She's 70-something. But he's like, oh, hello, Grandma. And she's like, put another log on the fire, boy. And he's like, what? And she's like, did I fucking stutter? <laughs> she is ridiculous. Again, Cold. I hate this for Angelica. Yes. But I love that this lady is just like, servant, do as I fucking said. And he's like, I'm your grandson. <laughs> can can I can I go on my Angelica screen yes. briefly? Okay. So listen, I appreciate the Victorian spiritualist vibes that we got from Angelica in the last one, right? Because like yeah. in the first part, she is she's the evil wizardess. She's drinking blood. <laughs> she she gets her fuck boy. Like great, love it for you. Fucking go go girl. But. She gets to be like a married lady and she's frail. She's talking to ghosts too much. And she basically is like sidelined for the entire story until the end when she comes out to impotently scream Simon's name 20 times. (coughs) So like not thrilled with that. Again, I like this, the fucking old lady Winchester vibes, but like the way that she is sidelined is very frustrating when she was the driving force of evil in like the first part, right? She should have been a huge piece of all three of these stories. Absolutely. So we get to part three when they they are old and decrepit in their old and decrepit mansion. And Angelica has two scenes again. She Mm -hmm. has this scene where she's like, I don't even know who you are, but fucking get my drink, boy. (laughs) And she has a scene in the end where she is greeting ghosts. But like, they don't even say her name. Daniel gets picked up by the cabbie to get dropped off at the Fear Mansion. The cabbie's like, oh, you're here to see fucking Simon Fear and his wife. And I was like, Simon Fear and his wife? Do you mean the evil wizardess Angelica who murdered two men and I loved your comment where you were like, Angelica Pierce didn't murder two men just to be called Simon Fear's wife. Okay, wait, no, she literally did. But you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, no, this is the most active female character that we've had in these entire three books. Including our framing device. (laughs) Including fucking Nora. Which I feel extremely betrayed by younger me that Nora was so important to me. Oh, I know. I I was very disappointed in Bob. But like, (sighs) to get to part three and Angelica is just... A Pokemon again, just like oh, log on the fire, log, log on fire, fire? log log fire, <laughs> big and heavy and wood. Ugh, just Bob, Bob, stop writing women, Bob. Yeah, he had a real opportunity to write an evil maiden matron and crone, mm-hmm. and biffed it in the second act, right? Because like even what little Angelica does is not driven by her her decisions she's like she's ghost powered now so yeah. it's not even the cards her tell with me to agency. stay in the room all right i'm glad that bob used that for you right the ghosts keep saying hi like i you know ugh, it's gross i don't like it yep again 
if the last time she had been teaching her children dark magic, that would have been a more active role. Right, anything. But I do like, because you read Angelica's description, it was very good. Yes. I genuinely think Simon's description is pretty good. Daniel meets Angelica and she's like, you know, go get my drink, et cetera, et cetera. And then she's like, you can go. You and then she go. starts she starts screaming at him, like, get the fuck out of my <laughs> right? face. Did you not hear me? Go. <laughs> so Daniel's just like, uh, uh, what do I do? And then behind him, pay no attention to her, a high-pitched voice wheezed from behind him. Daniel wheeled around and saw a nearly bald old man hunched over in a wooden wheelchair. He had a thin brown blanket tucked over his legs. His face was yellow and sickly in the flickering firelight. He stared at Daniel through square-shaped spectacles with dark eyes, eyes like tiny buttons. And I was like, tiny buttons? And then I took a minute to really think about it, and I was like, Nah, that's pretty creepy. Right? Just these little black beady eyes. These little black eyes on this like hunched over fucking crypt keeper looking old man. Like, mm-hmm. no, you know what, Bob? That's that's pretty good. I'll give you that one. He did a good job of describing these super old people who are, in fact, the first people who have been in their 70s because Matthew and Benjamin were in their 60s. Yeah, well, I mean, the horror of aging, am I right? <laughs> How you doing now, Bob? <laughs> Have the buttons set in yet? <laughs> Have the buttons stopped screaming, Bob? <laughs> oh, uh, so, yeah, Simon meets Joseph's boy, and he talks to him. Angelica gets all weird again, and Simon is like, mm, I told you to ignore her. Ah, but you're here, and you can, like, continue my work. Because Joseph's older brothers, Robert and Brandon, stayed, but they're gone now. Robert, it's later mentioned, was maybe poisoned by Sarah Fear, his daughter-in-law, so, like, a married into the family. And Brandon and his son, Ben, just walked into the woods and never returned. And I'm like, I appreciate that this leaves us open to, like, Robert's son having had children and Brandon and Ben still having had existed so that we can have any fears in the future. Right, and Sarah Fear is uh, from the cheerleader books. In the 1900s? Her ghost. Oh, nice. Possesses the cheerleaders. So I, I assume that she, Sarah Fear is a, a previously established character. Okay, which is what I was assuming with the way they mentioned them later. I'm like, ah. Yeah. And like the river, I'm like, oh, I remember that river is important. So like, we're definitely getting to the point where he's got to start mentioning shit in Shady Side. Right. Yeah. Weird that Sarah Fear is a fear married into the family. Yeah, it's a weird detail, but I assume it has something to do with some plot from those books. Yeah. So. And anyway, Daniel gets his inheritance early. It's the necklace! The disc-shaped necklace? The disc-shaped one, yes. I think it has three silver claws like a bird's feet. And uh, three blue gems? Four, actually, four. Four blue gems, oh no. (laughs) And he reads the fucking Dominatio per Malum, and he's like, what does that mean, grandfather? And Simon just fucking out with power through evil! And then he is like, put it on and wear it always. (laughs) And Daniel's like, okay. 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 <laughs> like, you nerd, you little weirdo. Your grandfather is, just run. Run away. <laughs> but he sees, like, the fire and whatnot when he puts it on, as everybody does. Mm-hmm. 
And I just love that he's like, the party is several weeks away. What the fuck am I going to do here in this town? Why did I come? Several weeks. Why did you come so early, Daniel? Were you just bored in Boston? Right? Like, what? I mean, is this third son syndrome? Like, I can't is guess. this how you thought you would get your fortune? I don't. It's so ridiculous. But he goes into town. Um, oh, one thing I did want to mention. We start seeing cars and stuff. Horseless carriages. And that was nice. It was nice to finally feel like time has actually fucking passed from when we mm-hmm. started these books. We got it a little bit in the beginning of this with the New Orleans section, which I wish they had described the Fear Mansion as like looking like a New Orleans mansion, because that's always how I picture it. But um, yeah, so like we actually get the sense that the world is moving on. Things are changing. Women are not burned at the stake anymore. And he stops in at a general store because he's thirsty. I'll just say Daniel is always either hungry or thirsty. This boy is <laughs> thirsty boy. He's thirsty. And he like routinely is mentioned as having had you know eating dinner or something i'm like is your dad like a poor in boston (laughs) is that what this is because there's just there's just a lot of like hints that it's like i could eat yep let's go (laughs) like this this bob this bob just being like oh i gotta get this finished before dinner dinner." (laughs) this whole section was written while he was being told dinner's gonna be ready in an hour bob And he goes to this general store, which naturally has a good in it. (laughs) It has goods and services. (laughs) Goods and services. (laughs) But this is the most ridiculous fucking section to me. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read it. A young woman dressed in a silky yellow high collared blouse and long maroon skirt had her back to him. She was reaching up to arrange canisters on a shelf on the wall. Daniel cleared his throat impatiently. She turned and smiled, surprised to see a stranger in the store, and Daniel fell in love. (laughs) Thanks. And he just, like, goes on to think about it. She's, like, the most beautiful girl. He feels dazed, and he has a hard time talking to her. And he's just like, she's so pretty. Like, dark hair, creamy pale skin, green eyes. And he's just like, blah. But, Mm -hmm. and Daniel fell in love. Like, awesome i super love this bob you are just like everybody who falls in love it's love at first sight simon and angelica was love at first sight and they stay together for like 50 fucking years see it can work he has good example in his grandparents (laughs) oh that would have been so great to have like a a discussion of like so grandfather how did you and grandmother meet Ah, well, you see, she had these two suitors, and I thought I killed them, but she did with her magic power! And then we drank blood, and it was wonderful. Like, their history doesn't mean fuck all by this point. No, it doesn't. Would it be great? Just like, and you thought you killed them, but (laughs) I did. I thought I helped. I helped. I killed your dad. Oh, you're right. (laughs) I want that scene. I know, I know, I want, I w- because at this point, they are, you know, Simon is like, oh, don't listen to her, she doesn't know what she's talking about, like, they're- He's no longer in love with her, it's clear. Yeah, they're just different characters, they're not a couple anymore, it's yeah. like, man. God, how good could it have been to have him be like, she gets like this when she talks to the spirits, she'll be fine at dinner. Like, 
something where he's like, I love her and I miss her when she gets like this. Just like anything to show me that you still love this girl you drank blood with, whom you thought you killed three men for, but only killed one. <laughs> right. Like he goes in and he like, he puts a log on the fire and then like right. pats her leg. Like, come on, man. Anything. Anything. God, we could have made this so much better. <laughs> so... Daniel and Nora finally fucking meet, and it's page 139 out of 179, and I hate that. Mm-hmm. Nora has, like, no personality. Nope. The town is so boring, and she's like, I guess the only thing that's interesting is the fear mansion. He's like, why? She's like, because it's fucking spooky. Because <laughs> fucking spooky, Ta, are you new? <laughs> right, I literally am, but I'm not going to tell you that I'm a fear. Mm-hmm. So at this point, I think Daniel stops having personality. Like, as soon as love happens, these characters fall into their trope roles. So he's just suddenly, I love her, I love her laugh, I love everything about her. But they do get to actually talk, which is interesting. Yeah, they what, they spend like three or four days together. Yeah, like they knew each other for five days, it's saying here. Okay. She tells him she dreams about moving away someday. To a town with wide paved streets and buildings as tall as the trees. A town filled with people I don't know. Like, I I want that for Nora. I would like Nora to have more to her. But, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know. So yeah, they've known each other for like five fucking days when they kiss. And James Good confronts Nora and is like, "You you can't hang out with him. It is at this point that I wish that the Goods knew their side of the story. Because James Good could have fucking told Nora. Yeah, at this point, it's functionally pointless, right? Because it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like uh, that's the frustrating thing is like the the curse, or at least knowledge of the curse, doesn't really matter. Like as long as there's somebody actively operating. Yep. There is no real curse. It's it's just them. So James is like, I forbid you from seeing him, boop. And as we learn a little bit later, he like boards up the whole fucking store and the house that, or the apartment they live in above it and is like gone off to another town to like make preparations. I like picture him just like, I'm sorry, you're dating a fear. And then just like a fucking loony tune is like hammer, 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 hammer. <laughs> and like he just turns around and he's got like a pile of suitcases. And he's like, I'm going to go secure a place in another town. You don't leave this house, okay? <laughs> like who just has this like much wood and nails hanging around? <laughs> She's like, where were you keeping that? Do you just have like a board with some nails next to every window just in case? Like this is New England. You don't have tornadoes. You get snow. <laughs> you don't need like, to board up your windows. <laughs> this is for when the bad snow comes. Yeah, I guess. So Daniel goes looking for information and we get the great moment of him coming to like Simon's library and the first shelf he examines held quote, Books about magic, the dark arts, strange scientific journals, and volumes about astrology and fortune-telling the future. How strange that Simon should possess books of this nature, Daniel thought, moving the candle along the shelves. Did he and Angelica have a scientific interest in such matters? Daniel, you fucking fence post. (laughs) He is not smart. (laughs) Like, (laughs) come on, kid. The bimbo has returned. (laughs) I guess 
Daniel can be a himbo, right? <laughs> Daniel is canonically a himbo. I'm going to go see my grandparents whom I've never met. I'll go out for their 75th birthday. Do you want to come too, Dad? Not at all. All right. <laughs> I'm heading out to Shadyside Village. <laughs> Goodbye, Boston. <laughs> You think he had to fucking, like, escape in the dead of the night because his dad was like, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. I'm not going to tell you why. I won't board you up, but please don't go. (laughs) You're a young man in 1900, so you may go as you please, but I'm telling you as your father, don't do it. Don't do it. Okay. The next funny thing to me here is that he's hungry and thirsty and he's looking for fucking cookies. (laughs) (laughs) oh daniel he's like where are those ginger cookies we had at dinner and he's like looking around nope no cookies (laughs) he finds the secret hidden area that julia and hannah used to hang out in and in there he finds the family bible the spine is cracked and the pages are tattered and he looks at the names at the back of the book all of the different handwriting of his ancestors. And he sees the date 1692. I don't know why they wrote it then. And the names Matthew and Benjamin Fear, Wickham, Massachusetts Colony. Oh gosh, our name was spelled differently then. I wonder what when the change was made and why. He looks and he sees so many early deaths and sometimes two or three at a time. But then Dun-dun-dun. Somebody's behind him. It's just Mrs. McKenzie. And rather than have all the information written down in the fucking book like it should have just been. Yeah, I agree. The fucking housekeeper has to explain it to him. Why, Bob? How does she know this? You literally had the family Bible right there. You could have put fucking Matthew... Yeah, Matthew's stuff in there that maybe Ezra put in it. Like, there was no need. Nobody else had this Bible. Yeah, if if it had just been the fucking book, I would have questioned it less. Like, it might not have made total sense. Yeah, I would be like, you never mentioned this Bible before. But at least we wouldn't be like, why does this human being... (laughs) Who was not alive since 1692. Who's not related to either of these families. Why, Bob? So Mrs. Mackenzie tells him the story about, like... Matthew and Benjamin and how they were treacherous men who burned an innocent young woman forgetting that Martha Good was also an innocent woman who was murdered thank you <laughs> but she wasn't young she wasn't young so it doesn't matter not innocent had a baby already had two babies <laughs> and uh you know talk about William blah 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 oh this is also when we learn about Robert Dying of a strange fever, many said brought on by a spell from his evil daughter-in-law, Sarah Fear. The other brother, Brandon, and his son, Ben, they just wandered into the forest and disappeared. That's very good, though. Like, wandering into the forest and disappearing is a very good spooky story. Super spooky. I appreciate it. So, yeah. No idea how she knows all of this. But I do love that, like, she's like, the way to end the curse is for a good and a fear to get married. I, yeah, these people, they're just one doll in one hand, one doll in the other, and they're just like, mm, just mush the faces kiss, together. Nobody knows that's actually going to fucking work. No, there's no, see, here's the thing. There has never been anything to indicate to us yeah. 
that love was a, a curse-breaking force. William never said, you kept my daughter and your son from marrying, so now there will be a curse on our families to always be apart. Right. I mean, the last time we heard anything about any fucking parameters around this curse, it was, oh, well, your name spills fire, so you're going <sighs> to die in fire. Like, that was the last fucking world rules we got for this curse. And that was from someone who... Bannon in my head <laughs> is a is a feared daughter descendant, but otherwise some literal nobody. The only other person who said anything about marriage breaking it was Delilah, who, who was also a nobody and didn't ever have any children with them. Like she's in the beginning of the Fear family tree as having married Jonathan, and there's like a one the one hundred year break, and it's like. They weren't married. She is yeah. not their descendant. She didn't make up this rule and say, yes, if, if we're married, it will be over. She was just trying to trap this dude who wanted to marry right. her anyway. Well, and it also, I mean, this this all being said, as we've established multiple times, it's just people. So if she's like yeah. telling him, oh, the way to end your curse is like to marry a good, then like maybe that's her fucking fan in and she's like, we'll just see what happens, you know? <laughs> I like that. I like that. They're like, we think this is how it will work. And honestly, everyone's been wrong. Yeah, 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 for sure. Like there's no indication that she is meant to be correct anyway. So Yeah. Um, so the next morning, Daniel goes to the village back to see Nora again, because he's going to tell her now that he knows for sure there is a curse, because he was like, I'm going to find out tonight if there is. And I love that there's like a line of carts and carriages pulling food and drink and flowers for the celebration. And there's like other servants that have been like rented to come come work this thing. And at the time, I was like, who the fuck would go to the Fear Mansion for Simon Fear's 75th birthday? I know. It was wild. I'm like, who the fuck is coming to this? And I was not disappointed. No, it was very good. It was very good. <laughs> so Daniel gets there and it's all boarded up, but he finds Nora and they have a like fucking two hour chat. At which point I was like, why? If dad will be back in an hour or two, why not take Nora away from her room where you can tell her the story somewhere else and then get married? Uh, Yeah, I mean, sure. But then... We wouldn't have this amazing section that we have to read, though. Okay. Okay, I do want to note first that he goes up to the general store and it's all boarded up and, like, he's looking around. And Nora, <laughs> foreshadowing her eventual descent into Lady Madness, uh, just screams Daniel for, like, an entire Daniel, page. Daniel! Daniel! Take a shot. Daniel! 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 Look up! Why won't you look up? Daniel! Daniel! Up here! <laughs> like, you could have said up here at any point. Daniel, Daniel? Daniel, 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 Daniel. Anyway. Daniel, Daniel, I thought I would never see you again. Nora cried, pressing her damp cheek against his. He hugged her tight. Nora, what has happened? Why has your father locked you in here? She held on to him for a moment, as if proving to herself that he was solid, that he was real. Father locked me in to make sure I would never see you again. He has gone to the next town to make arrangements. He is taking us far away, Daniel, far away. Daniel uttered a cry of surprise. But why, Nora? He found out that you are a fear, Nora replied, her body trembling, tears rolling down her flushed cheeks. So you know, Daniel said, feeling his pulse throb at his temples. You know I am a member of that cursed family. 
I know and I do not care, Nora declared. I love you, Daniel. I do not care anything about your family or its past. I love you too, Nora, Daniel cried, and they embraced again. But you must know the story of our families. You must know all about the curse. No, take me away from here, Nora pleaded, her voice trembling. For father will never allow us to be together. He will be back in an hour or two, and then... That is enough time for me to tell the story, Daniel insisted, and then we will be married. Yes, Nora agreed, squeezing his hand. Oh, yes, Daniel. They kissed. It's just so ridiculous. <laughs> just like, no, we gotta go. My dad's coming. Oh, no, that's just enough time. <laughs> just enough time to tell you the horrifying story of our families. Sit tight, babe. And maybe get in a fuck. I know, right? Because they get married. That's the the wildest thing. Like, they do. They're married. He knows he passed, like, the house and was like, I know where that dude lives. I passed right by. It said marriages. <laughs> they get <laughs> married. On the, on the side on the door, it said marriages. <laughs> Come on in. We're open all day. <laughs> 24 hours. So fucking funny. Oh, God. Yep. So they get married. Yeah. And, uh... Daniel gives Nora a disc-shaped necklace. Dun, dun, dun. We have no ring. We'll use this. What a strange object. Oh, the fire. Blah, blah, blah. Yep. So Nora inherits the fear amulet. Yep. So at this point, I made a note that this book in particular has the same problem as, um, we haven't gotten them to yet, but the, the Mavra series um, mm-hmm. by Amelia Water Roads, where you can't really change anything that exists in the future. So this book is stuck. It's trapped within those bounds. Like, it would have been very interesting to see the story of, like, the ones who did get away. Um, it wouldn't be a Fear Street one, but, mm-hmm. like, Daniel and Nora could have just gotten away and told the story and been like, we're trying to get the information out there. But it's trapped by Bob running out of time, running out of words, needs to go to dinner. I, so I don't personally remember how much, like, I know that the Fear Mansion burned, and I know that they're, like, it shows up in the newer Fear Street, Mm -hmm. but there's no reason that they couldn't have just burned the house and then gotten away. Right, you could have just had everybody who was an evil fear Died. Yeah, and Nora and Daniel got away, and that's why the story is available to us. But instead, it has to go full on gothic horror, which, like, all right, fine. Mm-hmm. But there was no need. Like, Daniel didn't deserve this death. Yeah, and it's I don't know that there's any canon they have to adhere to. Re Daniel and Nora, so because they could have just gone off and been like, "We will be goods. I'll take your name. Yeah, I, I won't be a fear anymore." Yeah, I mean, maybe there, maybe there is, maybe there was some stuff that was established. Maybe, maybe Daniel was ever mentioned. Yeah, like, I think that is what it feels like when it gets towards these last two chapters. Just feel like it had to be this way, and it was so underwhelming. <laughs> oh yeah, this this is a wet fart of an ending for sure. Yeah, but uh, Daniel and Nora are back at the Fear Street Mansion or the Fear Mansion. And Nora is like, this place is scary as fuck and I don't want to be here. And Daniel is all like, it's okay, after this, we'll leave. And I'm like, just go, just fucking leave. 
(laughs) (laughs) And they have every opportunity to just fucking go, but Daniel really, really wants to introduce her to be like, look, the curse is over. The curse that I only just fucking learned about. (laughs) Right. He's like, okay, if we get married... And I don't tell my grandfather the curse isn't officially broken. Right, because he'll think that the goods are still a problem. I gotta show that you're not. By the rules that I've just decided, that's how it works. (laughs) So I have to introduce you to him or it won't let me complete this objective. Right. That is sitting here on my on my head heads up dash. <laughs> right. And you know what? You know how much I hate having stuff just lingering after we leave a zone? Uh, like I have to clear this. Mm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it feels like because he doesn't have to. It doesn't help <laughs> anybody to tell his, his grandfather this. Literally and figuratively. She's like, hold on, I just gotta, I just gotta talk to this NBC. I just gotta, I just gotta click the button and then we can go. <laughs> I gotta know what happens when I tell him. <laughs> and they get there, and this is where my what the fuck who would come to their party is at least fulfilled. Because <laughs> it's nobody. Nobody is there. Nobody. You know, I hate that Angelica gets this, um, her greeting guests that don't exist, ghosts and whatnot. But I love this kind of, like, Mrs. Havisham birthday party, all lavish food and cake and candles. Mm-hmm. It's utterly gorgeous, and there's no guests. Oh, yeah. In an empty ballroom. It's it's very good in terms of, like, image and a good good scene. Yeah. So, yeah, Daniel is like, uh, okay, this is weird. And Simon is, like, waiting for people, and I'm literally the only guest, and he's still waiting for more. Fuck it, I'm just gonna introduce her. You know, he brings her in and she's got the fear amulet at her throat. And he says, you know, this Nora good. She's my wife. And we get another, like, Simon opening the fucking grave to find Julia's dead body in there. No! Hideous wail, a cry of anguish. And he, like, stands up from his, his wheelchair. He's, you know, he's like an old man in a wheelchair kind of thing. And knocks over the cake. Oh, it's good. Like, this is really a... This is a good scene, like, of of Simon's, like, fucking abhorrence of the idea of marrying a good, like, literally burns down everything he's built. Oh, yeah. I, like, I'm impressed that the freaking birthday cake candles managed to survive a fall and light stuff on fire. (laughs) I definitely exert my disbelief. But Angelica begins to shriek as the enormous cake splattered on the floor. And Nora's like, Daniel, what the fuck do we do? Daniel, what's happening? Like, there's no more Daniel. Like... That cake falls and there's no more Daniel. She can't see him. Everything's on fire. The carpet lights on fire. Then the whole room is ablaze in the course of two sentences. As if all the candles in the ballroom had suddenly fallen and flared into tall flames. And she's just, Daniel? Please, Daniel. Daniel, Daniel? Daniel, Daniel, where are you, Daniel? Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. But then Nora sees everybody who died, at least that we saw in the stories, in these flames. This is the point where uh, the ghost of little Abigail Good floated overhead. Abigail's mother, Jane, staggered stiffly after her. Her face bloated from drowning. And I was like, who? Who is Abigail Good? And it took me a while. I'm like, I don't remember that. But I, it's because she was a fear. So fuck off. <laughs> oh, I did want to mention the... So the idea is that, like, Nora's running around this house. She's seeing all of the people who have died over the course of the last three books. Yes. She says, uh, the victims, the phantoms of the past, fears and goods, roared around to the room, their cries louder than the thunder of the flames. They swept round and round, faster and faster, until they became a raging whirlwind of pain, of brutal death. And it, it put me back to the end of the fourth Vampire Diaries book, 
where for some fucking reason, like the ghosts of all the, the fucking... ghosts of the Civil War ones, yeah, came in and they were like, <laughs> "We're gonna drag you to hell." Class I was like, how "I mean, much- I love the idea of the ghost of the past dragging Simon Fear and Angelica to hell." Well, yeah, but like, how much better would it have been if it were like for Vampire Diaries? And I know this has nothing to do with you know Fierce Resaga, but I have a <laughs> bone to pick with Vampire Diaries. <laughs> but like, if like the ghosts of all the people killed by vampires or like Klaus's victims came and dragged him to hell. Like it works much better here because it is like the fucking pain and horror of like our stupid fucking not necessarily supernatural feud and all the people (laughs) that it's killed. Yeah. Here you go. It's decided to burn down this whole fucking mansion. Right. Like there's more thematic sense in the goddamn Fear Street saga. (laughs) That's hard to do. And that's it. That's how it ends. Well, there's an epilogue, but like that's how the section ends. So yeah, Daniel didn't deserve that death. He was trying to be a good boy. Mrs. Mackenzie and all the other servants didn't deserve that death because Nora notes nobody else comes out of it. And uh, we get Nora is uh, at an insane asylum. Of course. That's what they call it. She was saying something that people needed to know the story so that they could stop the evil. But like clearly it only stopped the feud. Because now there's no more fears, supposedly. But it doesn't stop the evil to get married. Right. And, you know, the, that's the whole point of the fucking Fear Street original yeah. book series. Is that it's, as there's evil on them, there's streets. <laughs> there's evil on the streets. Uh, so, yeah, she's finished her story. And she's like, here, you know, you gotta read this. And the nurse just, like, literally fucking tosses it into the fire. <laughs> and I was like, that is so cruel. Like, you just... Threw this girl's work directly into a fire. You could have been like, sure, honey, and taken it away and then thrown it away. But instead, she's just like, toss. In front of her face. That was so yeah. unnecessary, Brenda. Oh my god, it was ridiculous. And she's like, it's for your own good, Nora. If the doctor saw what you spent the night scribbling, they would have locked you up and thrown away the key. Like, haven't they already? Who do you think you're helping? I don't believe you give a fuck about this girl. Right, I get big being dragged away for her lobotomy vibes here, so. Yeah. And, like, where's her dad? Right? He, well, he fucked off. He was in one scene, and he, he just, like, doesn't come to claim her and be like, that's my daughter. Yep. <laughs> All right, so I want to read the last page, because we might as fucking well, right? <laughs> you do not understand. She protested, tears forming in her tired eyes. The evil is still alive. The evil is still there. The word must get out. People must know. Come with us, Nora. The nurse's voice was soft, but her grip was hard and tight on Nora's arm. Come with us now. Try to forget your wild tale. Did you not hear the news? The other nurse asked brightly. This will surely cheer you, Nora. The fear mansion is gone, but the village is to build a road on the property. What? A road? Nora asked, feeling dazed. But the horror... No more horror, Nora. No more. The road will be lovely. It means that lovely houses will be built there, the nurse told her, edging her toward the door. And do you know what they're going to call the new road? What, Bob? No. (laughs) Nora asked weakly. They're going to call it Fear Street. Bob! Bob! (laughs) Bob, that was so weak. And, like, it was literally last night. (laughs) 
oh, but we moved real fast. We want to put a road there. Okay. It just, it cracks me up that they're like, hey, Nora, the house is gone. It's okay. Can't hurt you. But we're going to name the road Fear Street after the family that died. Isn't that great, kiddo? La, 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 la. It's not like they can't know, right? Because Nora married this guy. Like, there's a record of it. Yeah, the town has to know that the reason that she's upset is not necessarily because of the evil, although she does not mm. stop talking about the evil. Yeah. But it's like she would be smart her, to stop. Her fucking husband died, right? Oh my gosh! This is like, please show some fucking sympathy for this eighteen-year-old woman, right? Oh my god, yeah, and just the fact that like. We've spent the past three books, Nora scribbling away, like, oh, I gotta finish this before dawn. And, like, there's nothing at dawn. They just come in and they throw it away because they're jerks. But it's not like they were like, oh, yeah, we're gonna come in. If there's anything in here in the morning, we're gonna throw it in the fire. Like, this isn't Rumpelstiltskin where she has to, like, spin all of the straw into gold or the king's gonna chop her head off. Right. So, R.L., Robert, Lobert, has been (laughs) super disappointed. Right, he's been using these interludes to build to something, and then we just get there, and it's just like, LOL, Fear Street. <laughs> what if it was Fear Street? Like, and they're <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. Why do they even need this road? Where is it going to go? I know, they specifically say that, like, the Fear Mansion is out in the woods. Yeah. And they, there's no mention of, like, the town developing or anything in, in Nora's section. So come, no. come on. Bobber. Right, because that would have been great being like, oh, I walked past, you know, an area where they're going to be building some more t- some more houses or something. Like, towards the Fear Mansion. But people are weird about it. Right, or like, oh, it's it's boring here, but more people are coming because of the mine or something. And the town is expanding. Like, no. You're very right. Because Nora's like, no, there's no reason to be here. The best thing we have is the Fear Mansion and just because, like, it's a spooky legend. Then, like, what fucking 80s property developer <laughs> bought up the fucking Fear Mansion? In 1900. Last night. Yeah. Was like, hey, kid, I saw that that house burned down. I'd like to buy the land. <laughs> what if we make it a parking lot? <laughs> I'm Varric from Varric Technologies. <laughs> oh, my God. So, um, reading... R.L. Stein books makes me feel so much better as a writer. <laughs> should. He's absolutely quantity over quality. Absolutely. Yeah, like like kudos for being able to pump out these books. I can't do it, clearly. But <laughs> he doesn't have to write well. He just nope. has to write. Mm-hmm. And that is the lesson we should all take from these books. It's true. We're not quite living in the era of, you know, a book a month, but no, you you could, you could fucking throw them out on Amazon, man. Be that book a month person you want to be. Right? Just, you don't even have to have good descriptions. You just have to have a story happen. You can just like, so there's the scene where he tells Nora, Daniel tells Nora the story and it's just, he tells her the story. It's a paragraph. It's two sentences, you know? They hang out for five days and it, it jumps from them beating to them like kind of like head on shoulder walking. And he's like, wow, I can't believe I've known her for five days. They just skip all of the development. It doesn't matter. Just write. Yep. When people say things, you know how you convey emotion? They say it in an emotionally way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can use the same description twice in a sentence too. You want to talk about a room being small. You can also then talk about like the window being small. Just everything's mm-hmm. small and I'll get, wow, what a tiny cramped room. 
Yeah, you want to describe the same object uh, multiple times across multiple Copy books. Pasta. Copy pasta. Copy. Control C. Control yeah. V, baby. Done. You don't oh, even no, have to wait. change any of the words. You know? Just come up with some bullshit. Oh, <laughs> and my favorite part about it, too, right? It's three stories in one story. And so each story has a beginning, middle, and an end. And then another beginning, middle, and end. And then another beginning, middle, and end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's it. Boom. You wrote a whole book. You wrote three short stories. And you Flash strung fiction. them together. Mm-hmm. Done. Like, if this is 30,000 words, you basically have to write, like, eight to 9,000 words, and then you string it together in the middle. Right. And if you want to throw a fucking hot crypt keeper in there, you can do it. Please. More hot crypt keepers. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. So, yeah, it made me feel really good. I've got writing I need to do. And, mm-hmm, um... Mm-hmm. Not that I want to aspire to be this level, but <laughs> I'm not writing for money, so I should stop being so hard on myself. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. That's that's Fear Street, everybody. Yep. Uh, Ollie. Yeah. Ollie. Mm-hmm. Oliver. Oblert. <laughs> Oblert. Loblert. Sina? <laughs> <laughs> um, would you recommend this book? <laughs> this one? <laughs> <laughs> this one specifically, because we have discussed the other two. Those are on record. No. Okay. I would not specifically recommend this one. I might tell someone to read the first section to be like, you have to read this fucking wildness that Roberts fucking mm-hmm. wrote. Please. Oh my God. It's ridiculous. But I could never recommend this book <laughs> without... Knowing that the person has read the other ones. Well, yeah, 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 of course. How about you? I mean, as you said, as a cap off to the trilogy, I don't know why you wouldn't finish it. Yeah. Um, it's not good. And I don't think it's, aside from the delicious Angelica, <laughs> Simon stuff going on in the beginning, it never achieves the ridiculousness of the first book. Yeah. And Daniel is never as compelling as Jonathan from the second book. No. Yeah. So it's it's not as good as the first two. Like the cover. It is the weakest. It has some good elements, but it's never quite as good as the first one. Yeah. It was kind of just kind of a done. Yeah. Well, you, you know what? We finished it and they drank blood. So that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> and if that was the whole section. Great. Right? Give me my uh, my 150-page romance between Simon and Angelica, evil wizards. Yeah, that would have been super awesome. I think that, like, it was clear what he was doing, like, from the get-go of what he was doing, was jumping through the generations, showing us generations of the feud that didn't actually exist. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I would have been happier to see, like, the first one be about one person. Yeah, William and Matthew. Yeah, it, it kind of was. And the second one to be just about, like, Jonathan. And then this one to just be about Nora. Or even, like, two, like, one good and one fear each each book, each generation. Yeah. That would have been fine. But trying to cover from 1692 to 1900 in the course of three 140 to 170 page books. Oh my god. It was breakneck and some sections were super weak. Yeah, well, and as we've established uh, multiple times, the idea of writing these from a perspective of what spook em up story can I tell versus what makes sense for, like, mm. creating compelling <laughs> characters, never yeah. in question. Always, Always go leans for spook-em-ups. Spook em exactly. <laughs> <laughs> compelling <laughs> characters, toss them. 
<laughs> the kids are 11. They don't care. And as, uh, or as I've said, I remembered things so differently. So mm-hmm. spooky. Um, I loved these. I loved the historical angle. I remembered scenes more grisly than they actually were. Like, if you're aiming for an audience of some creepy middle school kids are probably gonna pick this up, but probably I'm looking for, like, teenagers who just want to read something quick. Mm-hmm. They'll fill it in. Yeah. Well, and there is that idea of um, kids wanting things that they're older, that are meant to be for people older than them because yeah. it makes them feel mature. So, like, the idea that, like, maybe you're not even writing these for teenagers. Maybe you are writing them for spooky middle schoolers who <laughs> you know are going to grab them off Little, the little baby bats. Yeah, like, I've I've aged up out of goosebumps. I'm ready for some kissing exactly. in the books. And I would like to see more Fear Street-type things happen. Because I know, um, like, back in the day when I was working at bookstores, there were a lot of mid-grade, specifically mid-grade books, that seemed like they were the spooky equivalent to a Goosebumps, but nothing was really Fear Street teenage. And, like, this just fucking on the side, teen thriller. Like, give me more less-than-nano-sized teen thrillers. Let's go. Yeah. A uh, part of that niche is being filled by um like creepypasta, right? Yeah. Cuz you've have teenagers who are getting into creepypasta real young and then writing like uh slash shit where they get whisked away by like Slenderman. So <laughs> right? But yeah, like these books which cost like between 3 and 7 dollars. Mhm. They don't even have to pay. No, you find them for free on the internet. You and your friends write a bunch of self-insert fic. Yeah. You get all the Go kissing you it. want with all the horror you want. Like Be making out with monsters. Have a good time. Yep. I wish I could recommend these books to baby bat middle schoolers, but there are probably better things out there. Oh, for sure. Now? Absolutely. In yeah. fact, there are fucking new Fear Street books out, and like, who knows what the quality of those are. <laughs> Not us. Not us. <laughs> all right. Well, this was a great season. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I had an enjoyable time. I don't know what we're doing next, so um, I don't even get to tease about it. You don't? I thought we decided. <gasps> You're right. Mm. I do get to tease about it. I'm so mm-hmm. fucking excited. Mm-hmm. I forgot. Oh, season nine is going to be great. Yeah. We'll do an announcement for that for our chillest level patrons before it comes out in December. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I am Ollie. You can find me on Twitter at Olivia Hennis. And you can also find the podcast there at Backlist Podcast. Please come and chat with us. How can they find you? Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Endless underscore Run. You can also find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Backlist and Chill, where you can get the episodes super early. Do we have a new patron? Yeah, and we have a new patron. Uh, Jess, welcome. Uh, hopped on board just in time for this Fear Street train. I know. So, I feel bad, Jess. We would have mentioned you in the other ones, but you uh joined us right after we had finished recording episode two of the literally season, literally the day after. So, but it's been great to interact with you on on Twitter. Yeah, no, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you for talking to us on Twitter. Yay. Uh, everybody else, be like Jess. <laughs> be like Jess and Raven. And Raven, yes. Hi, Raven. (laughs) The two people who will talk to us. (laughs) All right. Have a great time. I hope you all had an awesome spooky season, and we'll see you next time. Yeah, bye. Bye.